The Dave Ellswick Show podcast is sponsored by the Juris Law Group. We provide estate planning for all ages, and we specialize in helping seniors get VA and Medicaid benefits for in-home, assisted living, and nursing home care. For a no-risk consultation, call us at 501-400-8250 or find us on the web at juristlawgroup.com. That's J-U-R-I-S-T lawgroup.com. All right, we are at CPAC. This is our last day here. And and just to tell you, when we get back, we'll still be at CPAC because <laughs> yeah. we've got a ton of pre-recorded uh, interviews uh, with folks like... Uh, Ambassador Bolton and others that uh, we will play back for you and you'll want to hear. And we covered uh, just about every kind of topic we could. Uh, we just finished up a few moments ago with uh, Megan uh, Barth of, or Reagan Babe, as many of you know her by, and she was absolutely fantastic. Uh, I think we're going to send that back so that we can play that later on in the show, towards the end of the show today. Uh, she uh, was asked to sit down and to co-host another show here that was going to keep her uh, up for uh, a total of three hours. So she was, she begged and begged and begged, and I finally said, okay, <laughs> go do it, but you got to sit down and pre-record with us. Right. And she said, yeah, that's no problem. So we got, we got that for you as well. Today we're going to have Sebastian Gorka on. I'm waiting He'll for join that. Us. Uh, Bob Dane will stop by from uh, the Federation of American Immigration. Uh, we'll be talking to him today. Just off the top of my head, I'm trying to think of the other people. We got a whole bunch of people coming yeah. today. Your book's solid. Yeah, yeah, we got somebody every half hour basically it's, today. It's, so it's been amazing, Dave. This has just been the most amazing. Like I, my first interview this morning that'll be on my Saturday show was uh, with. Uh, a woman who is an ex-Muslim, and she she was just amazing because she's talking about how Democrats are just hurting m- women in the Middle East. They're hurting them by because saying, of their policies, not, right, right, because they're being raped. She said they just changed the marriage age from eighteen to twelve. Oh, that's oh. crazy. So what you're telling me is that Islam over in the um, in Iraq. Middle East in the, in Iraq is uh, like Tony Olamo or something. Mm, it's ridiculous. I, and I was uh, very impressed with her because she um, she's fighting for women, you know, in the Middle East and 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 here too because you know she she said that she, her parents are still Muslim, so I didn't want to say anything negative. Yeah, well, I was, <laughs> sta- was I was great. standing here while you were doing yeah, the interview. Right. I couldn't really hear what you all were talking about. I could see her she was very animated mm-hmm. and near tears right because i mean it's emotional i mean she didn't say it but i'm pretty sure some of those things happened to her when she you know she was a muslim yeah i think you i heard you say that uh, her mother and father are still there right. but her sister and a I think brother she said a brother yes got out yeah as well yeah wow well she said she went to iran wow yeah oh. which isn't much better who went to iran she did Oh my! To Lord. get away from, to get away from uh, the Muslim. Oh, it, and now she's here. Yeah, now she's yeah. somewhere. Where, she has a conference uh, coming up in March that I'm probably going to attend here in DC. Okay, yeah. it'll be better off. Yeah, uh, here in the United States. I mean, p- people do not realize how repressive Mm-mm. the uh, culture is in the Middle East. I mean, we're talking 
huge repression because they're not democracies. They're not republics. They're they're, tola- they're, they're completely totalitarian. And what you know? kills me is, you know, liberals will smash and and just attack Christians. Oh yeah. Which I'm not a Christian, but they attack them, and then they go and support Muslims, which is the most evil religion ever. And I mean, I you know, you and I are friends. I don't I don't care who who what religion you are, as long as you're not a, being mean to me. I'm not going to be mean to you. You know, I don't care because that's why we live in America. Yeah, absolutely. But so, I support y'all more than I would. I mean, I don't support Muslims in no way. So here we are at CPAC. Uh, earlier today, if you didn't get to see it, President Trump was here. Yeah, I did. I got to see it. She got. I got to tell you what. Uh, Val got all excited because she was sitting here, and I pointed up. I said, look up there. There was Marine One coming yeah. in, bringing the president. I was like, I'll be back. Yeah. <laughs> Marine One brought him in. It was like Arnold Schwarzenegger. coming in. I'll be back. And then uh, you, you went got in the uh, media scrum. and uh, It was packed, too. Standing room only. In it there. was huge. And I couldn't get on my Facebook Live because everyone was on it. And my camera was full, so I couldn't take a video. So all I got was pictures. But it's all Nothing over Fox wrong News. With that. It's Nothing all over wrong Fox with that. News now, and, yeah. it's, and CNN's even playing it. I was up in my room all ago, and you know they're 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 playing his speech. Of course, they have different talking points than. Of course. Yeah, but and, and what they said was, oh well, he has to change his. They, he wants to keep his narrative the same about guns in school. But now that the security guard didn't do anything, now he wants teachers in the school. That's what they said on CNN. I was like. That's what he said all along. <laughs> I mean, I'm just so Let me sick tell of you what, sick after that town hall the other night by CNN, I will Disgusted. never turn on CNN ever again. Now, this was supposed to be a, a, a time of discussion yes. about An opinion. what happened. And instead, it became a time of... You know, let's beat up uh, Marco Rubio. Let's attack Dana Loesch. Right. Let's. In fact, the lady that was from the NRA, they were screaming for her to be set on fire. That's ridiculous. Did you know that? Did no, you? I didn't see yeah. that. I didn't watch the town hall thing. The only to... reason I watch CNN is to see what they're telling people. You know what I mean? Yeah. What are they lying about? Exactly. Now? And 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 when they told that that young man that didn't go, did you see that? Oh, there, yeah. The young man because, that didn't go because... Because he, he would not ask the question they gave him. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he they had written a question. Yeah, he was like, they, I thought I was no, going to get to read my own question. That wasn't good enough. No. They, you must stay with the narrative. Right. That's basically what they told him. Mm-hmm. And then the father of uh, a, a young lady... I saw that one, too. ...that was there at yep. the shooting said they told him the exact same thing. Now, CNN has denied that. But what do we know about CNN in the past? They've done this consistently. When more than one person has that, tells you that, and and the the other boy didn't go. Yeah. I mean, come on now. I I agree. So uh, the president spoke today. One of our own spoke today. We had uh, the attorney general here, here, uh, Leslie Rutledge, she can't be on this afternoon because she's on her way back uh, to Arkansas now. And uh, we recorded an interview with her, and uh, you'll get to hear that when I get back to Arkansas. 
and I'll, I'll play it. And we talked about sanctuary cities because that was her topic today. And I asked about what we were going to do about Little Rock and Fayetteville, and she has some very interesting things to say. What aspect of that? Because, you know, I didn't sit in for that. Well, they're going to make it very difficult on Little Rock and Fayetteville. You mean for the games? No, for sanctuary cities. Oh, sanctuary cities. Yeah, sanctuary cities. So, and, uh, you know, she talked about, we talked about Jeff Sessions. We talked about the judiciary because they are the ones that are slowing up everything that Jeff Sessions is trying to do. And um, it's going to be very interesting to see how this all plays out. I have to keep my eye out on that. I didn't uh, realize that that was going on. Yeah, well, it's crazy. uh, President Trump said yesterday... After, you know, some of the things that the people in California, the legislators and the, the governor have been doing, uh, he said that we'll just pull all of our ICE agents out of California and see how they like that. We should pull all of our money out of California for the immigrants and, you know, that they use for them giving them welfare and shelter and see how they like that. Yeah. There's a lot of things the federal government can do. Illegal immigrants. Yeah, and we'll deal with illegal immigration and sanctuary cities because, you know, Governor Moonbeam wants to make California a, uh, a sanctuary state. They are that far gone. Well, then they can just detach themselves from the rest of the country. Hey, I didn't make up that name of Governor Moonbeam. That's funny. He was governor at one time and then uh, lost, and, and they came up with the whole Governor Moonbeam uh, name in California, and I just kept using it. And now he's governor again. That one time around wasn't enough. They needed a double dose of his wow. insanity. Wow. And uh, that's name exactly what they got. It's exactly what they got. Well, it's not only that, but it's, it's one of the most liberal, uh, you know, states in the union. Yep. And when you look at where the money is in the state, a lot of it's along the coast. You know, L.A., San Francisco, Sacramento, uh, those areas like that. And that's why there's been this push to make California two states. Right. Uh, the Joaquin, that makes sense. The Joaquin Valley, and you get up to the north, and where they have all the olive groves and all of that. They want to secede. Be like North Carolina, or you know, North California, South California. Well, it's more of a east-west thing. So well, yeah. Maybe it'll be <laughs> yeah, you're right, it's West longer. California it's or East California. <laughs> right. I don't know. I I'm, I would have said that that would never have happened, except for the new kinds of legislation that they're trying to do. It, it's just ridiculous, and all the stuff that comes out of Hollywood anymore. Like you and I were talking about the other day. I don't even watch like George Clooney movies or. Nope. Or uh, who, who's the other? Matt Damon or... Uh, ben Affleck. Ben Affleck. I didn't even watch Batman. Don't watch him as well. I mean, because I don't want to hear about your politics. Yep. You're an actor. Absolutely. And you're, you're making it bad for the rest of us. When right. you go and support Obama or Hillary or any other crazy Whoever. Thing. All right. 17 after uh, 2 o'clock here on the Dave Ellsworth Show. We've heard that, you know, that... It was sunshine and puppy dogs in uh, Little Rock today. No, it was it was rain and ruined 
sandcastles, to be honest with you. We will be making our way back tomorrow. I understand we're going to see rain in the forecast when we get back there tomorrow. So don't forget about us. We'll be back with more here in just a moment on the Dave Ellswick Show. She can recall so many facts and things. I love her. All right. We're back. Here's my question. We had, uh, we had you, know, you all know we had Melanie uh, Phillips on yesterday. That was a lady who did uh, Guardian Angels. That's the name of her new book. And I got to read it. I'm, I'm going on Amazon tonight and buying it. But I got to tell you what, we got Katie Hopkins here right now. If you watch Fox, you've seen Katie before. If you watch Sean, you've seen Katie before. Uh, you know, she's, she's called like the, the Britons and Coulter. I didn't know. I, what was the one that I really, I laughed at? <laughs> Milo's mum. I know. Oh, no. Yeah, well, is that not shocking? So I get no. Milo's mum is one because we look the same and sound the same. I obviously look like his mother, not the same age. I get, <laughs> right? what do I get? I get British and Coulter, which I get, obviously. Right. People say you never see Katie and Anne in the same room. And then when we were in the same room together, we really freaked people out. Oh, no. And then they were I scared. Get, yeah. <laughs> And then I get ugly Ellen DeGeneres. Oh, my gosh. I know. No, I don't see that, too. It says here, crap Ellen DeGeneres. Oh, yeah. Crap, uh, crap Ellen DeGeneres. I get that, too. <laughs> oh, my yeah. God. That's just ridiculous. I, no, I but see But you, 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 oh, you wear it well. Yes, I own those badges. Yes. And I was going to say on, yes. Okay. Yeah. So she says something, being from Britain, that I say, uh, being an American... I don't want to be a British citizen, so I don't want to follow everything that you all have done over there. Right. right. You know, I, I, when they were doing the whole health care debate and, yep. and the whole Obamacare thing, you know, uh, there were many, many senators, congressmen and senators that wanted to go to single payer. And I said, I don't want to be Britain. No. I mean, I tell the story about where they were... They would go to the hospitals, the, the ambulances, and then they started timing how long it took the patient to be treated. And to be able to circumvent that, the ambulances would go around, the ho- keep driving yes. around the ambulance, the, yes. around the hospital. It was infuriating for me listening to the healthcare debates over here because people, um, people kept holding up Britain. It's like the panacea of, of the solution for healthcare, as if in some you know, world that they dreamt of. We all get brilliant healthcare for free. We have nurses waking us up, giving us bed baths when we open our eyes because a few of us pay a few taxes that, you know, we get ambulance to pick us up and just generally drop us off like taxis. I was like, are you kidding me? Come be me. You know, or come be a regular mum who's struggling a bit and they, they maybe they spent all night awake with their kid and their kid's not well and they don't know why. And that's a horrible feeling as a mum, any of us know. Right. And try then ringing your local surgery, which is five minutes away, and they say to you, which they will say if I rang them now, oh, we have no more same-day appointments left. And I can tell you, it is, it's a heartbreaking thing. You know you're at the back of any queue. You know that people who are determined to work the system and are very good at it have worked that system. We've got people arriving in JFK, um, in uh, London Heathrow with their suitcases, ready to have their baby go straight to the maternity unit in the UK. You know, that's the situation we're in. And our ambulances take four or five hours to arrive. So nationalised healthcare is not the answer. If you think the British system works, you know, you believe in unicorns. Well, I always make the argument when you make healthcare a commodity, somewhere along the line, 
as Margaret Thatcher says, you run out of other people's money. So true. Okay, so then you run into you've got to ration health care to make it, try to make it last longer for the people that you're covering. So you end up stories with stories like these little kids that are over there and the Department of Health probably doing a Monty Python funny walk making the statement that, uh, well, we're not going to give them any more health care. Hmm. And then they say, well, well, we've got a hospital in the United States that will give hmm. them treatment. You can't go. Hmm. I can't. That's the thing that I couldn't believe. Okay, I understand you ration health care. But why would you tell a, fa- you know, a mother and a father, you can't do everything in your power, if that means flying over the pond, you can't do it. Absolutely right. We've just had another case where that's just happened, that the NHS, the government, our nationalised healthcare system, uh, has decided to end the life of another two-year-old oh child uh, with, against the wishes of the parents. And that's quite sinister when you think about it. But So someone like me, I have three kids, um, and I pay for private healthcare for my kids because as a mother, I feel kind of uh, it's my responsibility. I don't mind if I get sick, but the thought that they get sick and they can't get treatment means I pay for private healthcare. So our system is broken, and it's beyond being fixed. Say that again. You don't trust your nation's health care, no. so you have had to go out and pay even more oh, yeah. for health care. As, as a taxpayer, I pay for... Um, my I pay my contribution to the NHS, the National Healthcare System. How much is that? Oh, I don't know. So it's part of my taxes. So okay. It's just this sort of it's one of those figures that right. just disappears like, like that you never know about. <laughs> right. But if yeah. you added it up, you'd probably cry. Yeah. That. Uh, but what I do know, um, so I pay for a private healthcare. I pay out again in a similar way to the way you pay, uh, in order that if my children, let's just say, and God forbid, they had a cancer or something, their treatment will be effective, fast and immediate. Right now you need to wait about two months, three months before you'll get results on your test if you think you've got cancer. And whilst I may be able to cope with that, for me, I'm not going to cope with that for my children. And same with our state education system. I pay for that. Mm -hmm. I pay for other people's children to take my three places. But then I pay for private schooling because our schooling's been given away to migrants that just arrived. Yeah, that's a big problem. Yeah, we're at the Britain. back of the queue. British people are at the back of the queue. And now English is the third language spoken in British state schools. Yeah, I've heard wow. you speak on that. And, and when you speak about we have to take a break? we got to take a okay. break. We'll talk about that one. Let's coming. break, of and course. then we'll come back, and we'll talk with Katie Hopkins some more here on the Dave, Dave Ellswick Show. i got a great question for her from when we come back. I want to know why the Republicans didn't bring her over here to talk to all the con- Congress about British health care. Right. Right. Back with you, Dave Ellswick at CPAC 2018, my 11th CPAC in a row. And uh, this one has been really good. The president spoke today. was very, very entertaining, to say the least. Uh, took a shot, another shot at McCain. Didn't call <laughs> yes, him. Did. Didn't call him by name, but said he walked in with a thumb up. And when we took the vote, the thumb went down. Terrible, terrible time is what he said. <laughs> so our guest... It's Katie Hopkins. You've seen her on Fox News. We're lucky enough to have her sit in front of a microphone and talk to us. I said that as soon as we started this segment, I was going to ask you the question, why didn't anybody in Congress, Senate or or, or the, the House, call on you or any other Brit that could told them the unvarnished truth about what health care in Britain's all about? 
I think it would be really helpful sometimes to do that. No, no one did give me the call. If they had, I'd have been right there. Um, although I have to say, I have had a call from the White House talking about me coming over to speak to one of the uh, committees about the Islamification of the West. Oh, um, well, I saw your. I, I watched your video. Get ang- uh, what was it? Get angry or get, get furious, furious and, and fight, fight back. back? Oh, you're awesome. Oh, thank I you. love that. Somebody sent it to me, and I was like, oh, she is amazing. It was a big speech. Yes, it's been one of the most. And you're funny. Speeches. And you're funny. I I look, she opened it up. She was like, I am not Milo. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> so, I, but I do feel certainly, and it's the reason I'm here at CPAC. Actually, you know, my key message, the thing I am serious about, is trying to warn Americans in a in a friendly and well meant way that you do not want to become the UK. Mm-mm. You do not want to be like us and you do not want to become us. Do not let yourself fall in the way the UK has fallen. And I say that I, I love my country. You know, I joined the military. I went through Sandhurst. I wanted to fight for my country and now I do it via the media. Right. But it's because I'm proud of what we were and I'm proud of what you have. And listening to Trump today with those lines about we will build a war, we're sorting your taxes, we're getting your jobs. These are the things that matter to people in the rest of America, just like the rest of the UK, where we love Trump. But you'd think from listening to our media that nobody right. likes Trump. Yeah. Right. We love Trump in the rest of the UK. It's just Londonistan with Lond- our Muslim mayor <laughs> that seems to get all the share of voice. Right. Yeah, well, let's talk about that, because where we've Hispanic brought in Hispanic after Hispanic into our country, you all brought in the Muslims, all right? Of course. And it, it's changed your culture. Completely. And what, you know, my big question to your listeners is if Islam is so fantastic, why didn't you stay in Muslim countries? Right. Why come to Christian lands? Why not stay and fight for your country? Stay and fight or stay in a country that right. has the culture that you say you want and you come over here and are determined to implement in my country. Right. And also, if you come to Christian countries because we're tolerant, why try and change us into the intolerant culture that you have? So it's one of my massive because frustrations. Someone told me that's their goal. To make Take the whole con- the whole world Muslim. That's that's the jihad. Of course, and with it by 2050. So you know we're only talking about a few years' time, really, within my lifetime. The number of children born to Muslims will outnumber the number of children born to Christians in Britain or those of a non-Islamic faith, and that's quite a shocking idea. Demographics we have been bred out of our own country. That's just that's just crazy, and I, I applaud you for like warning us. I just hope I wish the liberals would listen. Like, well, Melanie Phillips warned us yesterday as yeah, well. Yeah. And Melanie's, you know, I'm a massive fan and supporter of Melanie, and from a UK perspective, just for your listeners that thought Melanie was great, she is smart, intellectual. She's you know very well read, and they silenced her completely. They took away her column, took away her ability to be on the BBC. They just squashed her down because she's talking truth. And, of course, truths are the opposite of a friend of the liberal left. Well, yeah, because they deal in emotion. They don't deal in facts. That's right. And, you know, with emotion, when we saw that little boy washed up on the beach, um, little Alan Kurdi, that's why we made the decision to let in all of the Muslim migrants, because one little boy washed up on a beach and we had an emotional reaction from the liberals. And I worry with the gun violence you just had in Florida, we start letting emotion decide political policy. We're flawed. Just because a kid is crying, that doesn't make them an excellent person to decide gun policy. Exactly. And how do you feel about 
Like, I know that you're not allowed to have a gun in the UK. No, so we're not allowed to bear weapons in the UK. But, you know, two people were stabbed yesterday in London alone, and they were linked to gangs. We're attacked with acid. People throw acid from mopeds in the street, and we're run over by vans. So what are you going to do? What, you know, ban vans, ban acid, ban, ban knives? We're going to get slaughtered one way or another. And I agree with the idea that what it takes to stop a guy with a gun is another good guy with a gun. I'm totally with that. I heard your police don't even carry guns. Our police don't carry weapons, which is why the, the last jihadi attack on Westminster, the guy drove over the bridge, slammed into all the pedestrians on the bridge, killing a number of them, came round the corner, got out of his vehicle and then stabbed the police officer outside. And they were all running away. Right. Our police run away because they have no weapons to, with which to that's defend themselves. Like, that's like a Monty Python like comedy why? or something. It's totally bonkers. We face down people with weapons with nothing, not even a stab vest. It doesn't make any sense. Britain doesn't make any sense anymore, <laughs> which is why it's really why we nice left. being that's here why we at left. CPAC. No. Yeah, <laughs> that's it's why really left. nice being here at CPAC. I feel like I'm in a little oasis of common sense, decency and integrity. People that agree with you. Yeah, yes. and, not, and it's not a, you know, we don't have to agree, but people yeah. can still be polite and get along and, and maybe just not be willing to lie down while another country and another culture invades your own. Right. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm not sitting over here as she's trying to talk, going, ah, you know, right. okay, yes. and trying to silence trying to, you. Yeah, trying to lash out yeah. or remove my chair, you know, which is like <laughs> yeah. remove my venue or, or complain at my advertisers or any yeah. of the other pathetic tactics of the left. It is. Right. It's really, really amazing what goes on. But, you know, here in the United States, freedom of speech is... A frontal assault on it right now, and I hope I just did. You hear the story just a minute ago about the University of Colorado? No. Because a few uh, Native Americans got upset. They want the mascot change. You know what the mascot is over there? A pioneer. Well, Katie, you've had your own problems with freedom of speech in the UK. Yes. And you've actually been sued, and they wouldn't let you appeal. No, they wouldn't let me appeal. But I think, uh, you know, for me, I don't use the term freedom of speech in the UK because we don't have it. You don't it. have it. Because I think, okay, it's, it's me, fine. But when it is somebody like Melanie Phillips, who I look up to as someone with real integrity and real academic basis to what right. she says, as opposed to mine, which is much more experiential from going to these places, you know, when they silence her, we don't have freedom of speech. It's, it's not good to talk about it because it's been lost already the one good thing i'd say on a positive note is that i think it works rather like a seesaw and the more that liberals try and silence you and push down on one side of the seesaw the more the other side opens up and i say to liberals that interview me and are very disparaging about what i do yeah they're nasty to you they are nasty and i don't mind that either really because they're usually quite small people but um (laughs) i say to them you know you're frankenstein and I'm your monster. You silence me, and because you silence me, my voice got a lot louder. I'm just a mum of three, but I can speak globally because you silence me. Right. And making go. them own their issue in that way, I think, is a powerful thing. That is a very powerful thing to have. Okay, so we talked to Melanie, and I talked to her about how France has no-go zones and all of that. Are you guys moving towards that as well? Well, we, we, I don't think we're moving towards it. We've well and truly driven past that point <laughs> and have to reverse back into it. We have no-go zones all over London. Uh, town, there's a town, Leicester, Luton. I can list them off. Bradford, uh, you know, Rochester. There's all these different places where I wouldn't go. I mean, as in, I wouldn't let my family go. Sure. Obviously, I'd go marching in because I'm just that kind of old cow. Yeah. Um, and I went to Sweden to walk the no-go zones because I'm like, okay, I'm not. You're not allowed here. I'm coming. 
And uh, I took a bus to one of the no-go zones, one of the worst areas of Sweden. And as I got off the bus, this lady, a migrant lady, but old, third generation, the good, the good old migrants that work hard, and she just went, no, no, wrong place. No, not you, wrong place, wrong hair. Not, no, wrong place. And she what? wanted me back on the bus because I'm the only white person, the only woman, blonde hair, not covered, not Muslim. She's trying to protect you. She's trying to look after me and to say I got off at the wrong bus stop because nobody white is in Rinkaby. Nobody goes there. It's a no-go zone for white people. So oh. what if you did go? What if you did well, choose did. to get off of that bus? Yeah, you did. Because <laughs> that's what I would I do. Did. <laughs> and I got um, some abuse from the gangs there and eventually we left. But I went walking through to speak to the firemen in that area who can no longer send fire engines out without a police escort. Wow. They're building fences around the fire station because the migrants come in and steal the cutting equipment because they use it for burglaries. And the police can no longer respond to burglaries of houses because their cars get torched. Because what the migrants are saying is, this is our place, you don't come here. That's just crazy. That's Sweden, just outside of Stockholm. And the liberal feminists will suggest that doesn't exist. One lady I went to meet, there's gangs there raping women. And one of the ladies accidentally pepper sprayed with this pepper spray you're allowed to have because we're not allowed to carry any weapons. Um, she pepper sprayed the wrong guy in the gang that raped her and so she was charged uh, with criminal offence so you know endangering a guy because so they're not even allowed to carry pepper spray to defend themselves it's really we really have let ourselves fall so who's supposed to protect you there's no protection the, the, the deal is you move out and that's what they make clear we'll take away your police we'll take away your fire engines we'll take away your help we'll take away your ability to be here get out an uncivilized community yeah, yeah. And then they start fighting between themselves. The Somalis, you know, hand grenade the who's getting Who's going to get control? Who hate the Afghanis. Right. You know, that so, tribal stuff. So look, I want to go back to gun rights real quickly. Sure. There was a story four or five years ago, and I'm sure it'll come to your mind. I know what you're talking a about. A gentleman protected his home oh, mm-hmm. from people who were breaking into it with a shotgun. Yeah. They didn't do any jail time. He went to prison. He went to prison, absolutely. For having the gun. For having the gun and for trying to defend himself or his family or his home. And the same now true, I've just got back from South Africa, spending time with white farmers there that are under attack because they're giving lands to the black without compensation. And so the blacks are taking that as a a reason to attack, shoot, kill white farmers. About seven or eight a week are being murdered. Anyway, my point rather being... If a white farmer shoots at a black gang that are attacking, and it is black gangs on whites, um, it's not a racial thing, it just is that way. Uh, If a white farmer shoots at gangs attacking him, he goes to jail. And also the media love it. They, they blow that story. They don't, they don't cover the white farm murders, but they will blow that story and you will read about it everywhere. Racism only happens in one direction, according to the mainstream right, media. Right, right. Well, that's the same here. Mm. That's amazing. I mean, I, I remember reading that story on my radio show and, and said, there's something wrong with people who think this mm. way. And it, that, that, that's when we all knew that things were coming unraveled in Europe. Very quickly. Some, Very me, quickly. Let me ask you a, qu- a question. Speaking of just Europe in general, Merkel. What's your <laughs> thought of Merkel? She, the, the woman, well, A, I think she's a psychopath, my popular <laughs> opinion. 
Um, B, she's a sort of woman that could like stab both her parents to death in the night and still be in the EU in a pantsuit talking about fishing policy in the morning. She's like one of those weird people who has no emotion Where whatsoever. are your parents? Uh, yeah. I killed them. And she is the one that is responsible for the fall of Europe because she told them all to come. Veer Schaaf and us, we can do this. Right. She told them to come. All right. We're going we're gonna to break. I'm going to let you go. We appreciate you. we got Sebastian Gorka much. on his way. Thank you so much. Thank you I thought so it went much. very dark in the room. The big shadow <laughs> of Seb Gorka. No, you're amazing. You're on your own right, Katie. Thank you much, Thank you, Katie. Katie. We appreciate you. Thank you very much for your time. All right. Quick break. We'll be back with uh, Sebastian Gorka. All right. Back with you. Dave Eldrick Show. You know, we had uh, Mr. Lee on yesterday from North Little Rock. I'm reading my text, and I get a text, and it's from Colonel Colonel Conrad Reynolds, who's who's here at CPAC today. How you doing, man? I am doing great, Dave. I love. I it never here. know when you're in the United States. You're always, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll text you and you go, "Well, I'd like to do it, but you know, I'm I'm in Buttville somewhere." <laughs> Buttville. Well, I just happen to be in the area, and I'm so glad to see you here. It's great. It's great to feel like home, right? Oh, yeah. 11th year in a row. 11th year. Well, congratulations. Yeah, it's great to be here. It's my first. I'm I'm Val's loving this. And and all the people that you want to see or that you've seen on TV, they're all here. Yeah, they're all all here. And they're all accessible. You can talk to them if you want. And they're all nice. Oh, yeah, very nice. Well, some of them. Yeah, well, I haven't met met a rude person yet. Well, I won't say who, but. Yeah. But they did. They, as I was talking about earlier, uh, I was a little bit late getting in for the Trump speech, oh, and they man. locked the front door. And I'll yes, tell you, they that did. that really irritated. We had about probably four or five hundred people locked out, couldn't get in. A and, couple uh, of my guests, and and uh, people were not very happy. I was standing right there to uh, with the um, Libertarian candidate. What's his, um, Johnson? Oh. oh, yeah, the former uh, yeah. Arizona, uh, New Mexico Gary, governor, Gary Johnson. Gary Johnson. Gary Johnson. He was standing right next to me. He was locked out too, so it wasn't just me. <laughs> he couldn't get in. They wouldn't let anybody in. That, but, that's um, true. Yeah, well, it could have been some terrorist that had plastic surgery. Uh, mate, well, uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe. But he seemed to be a nice guy. Everybody wanted to get the picture with him. So, so you know, start stomping nice their guy. feet and saying, "Allah Akbar." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but I'll, but I'll tell you, uh, it's it's been a great event. I'm glad I'm here and. Got a few good things tomorrow uh, coming up as well. Yeah, I'm I'm leaving at a little bit before twelve tomorrow. Right. Mm-hmm. I won't tell you exact time because I know there's some of you who don't like me. I just, <laughs> I'm not going to give you a time to shoot at, so to speak. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, you know, it's good to see you. What have you been up to? Uh, doing a lot of things. Uh, you know, doing, doing, doing my thing uh, in the D.C. area. I mean, I know a lot of folks up here, and I'm glad I'm, glad I'm able to come up occasionally. I know I have a son that lives here. Okay. He's a D.C. cop, a policeman there, and so I get to see him. And My daughter works up here as well, so uh, it's good to see them when I, when I can come up. So are, are you still going out and, uh, you know, doing consulting for people? I do consulting in uh, different places in the world. Uh, and also in the Virginia area. So it's been good. And then I come back and forth. I'm, I'm so I fly, you, I fly a lot. <laughs> you know what you need to do? Open What's a consulting that? business about how to harden a school. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's going to be a difficult one to do, I think. I think it's going to be a difficult one. They're gonna, the left is going to fight that. Yeah. But they're they're, gonna, they made it very obvious they're going to fight it. Right. You know, one point about that, you know, I, don't, I didn't watch the video, and, I, and maybe I shouldn't even be commenting on that security guard. Um, who didn't do much. But I'm telling you, you take, bring a handgun uh, to, to someone who's got a rifle, 
I mean, that's a suicide mission. I mean, yeah. I mean, you've got about you know thirty five, forty, fifty, <laughs> fifty feet with a handgun, and yeah. you got three hundred yards with a rifle. I mean, there's so, three police officers and you know, right across from us. And I'll bet you, uh, I, I wouldn't. I'm just just speculating, but I'll bet you there's no way in the world that school would let that officer have a rifle. I guarantee it. Well, he bringing, was probably limited to a nine millimeter. The, yeah. the sheriff, the and sheriff now has put officers in the area with rifles. Yeah, with rifles. Now. Right, right. Well, you know, it's always, you know, the wrong sight. Uh, well, close the close the barn door after the horse has already left. But the fact is, is that I think that there needs to be a comprehensive review of each of the school. Yes, mm-hmm. but I do not think. Uh, there's there's more to the problem than locking up our schools because you know what if they can't get in schools what you know what the next soft target is a bus yeah. right and how are they going to get out and what's the next soft too? target after that you know I mean you can't continue so they need to find out what the underlying problem is and I think a lot of it's social over the last 20 30 years you know Dave when you and I went to high school we had guns in our gun racks in our truck I've talked about that and we could go hunting no one ever thought about killing people. And so, uh, so it's a new phenomenon that that uh, that's, that's well, tough. After school, we were allowed to bring our our firearms into the school. Right. <laughs> All right, to talk about them. Right, right. Uh, uh, well, this I'm, is my rifle. <laughs> I, 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 I have a, I had a teacher in eleventh grade. I won't mention his name, but uh, he had a really nice thirty out six, and I was going deer hunting, and he let me borrow it. I took it. I went, well, that's what I, I'm talking hunting. about. Yeah. And can you imagine that today? Well, no. And now they're trying to make it where you have to be twenty one to buy a rifle. That's what they're all talking about. That's, well, I, well, I have a problem. I have a problem I, with that. I do too, because it's not going to solve anything. I was talking to Wayne Dupree on his show earlier today, and you know, I borrowed. I borrowed guns from my ex-husband. Right. People, bar- like you just said, you borrow guns. Not to kill him, Dave. Okay. I just, just wondering. <laughs> no. But, I mean, people borrow weapons. They're handed down to them. It's not going to stop things. Well, look, you know, I have a daughter, of course, uh, and I've got a young one. i got an older one. But my older one, when she left home, um, you know, she was living on her own at 19. You know, we have said when you're 18, you're an adult. Yeah. Either we change that definition. You know, if we want to change it, that's fine. But, but if we change that definition, she's out there living on her own. If she has a stalker, some guy that's 25 who can buy a gun, right, buy a rifle, and yeah. she can't, then she is absolutely, she has no way to protect herself. And what would happen if I lent her, loaned her one of my weapons, oh and she Lord. protected herself, Didn't shot someone? Now you're going to have a whole host of other liabilities con- on the parents. Because you're contributing to that, a minor. <laughs> right. Well, well, she's not a minor, but it could give someone who's not authorized. Right. So those are, there's a whole host of other problems that would come up. It's not a simple solution. It's not a simple solution. And, um, but, I, you know, so anyway, you got hopefully. A, I got a minute. Let you me got just a minute. ask a question. All right. This kid evidently walked in to a school that was in full swing. Right. With an AR-15 and multiple magazines. Through an unlocked door somewhere. How? I mean, well, how, how do you get into a school with an AR-15? Th- that is yet to be determined, how he was able to get in the school, unless he knew in advance. Uh, I don't know the answer to that, but I'll tell you something. Most of these schools, even my, my kids' grade school, it's locked. You're not coming in. You got you funnel everybody you get, to one door. Through the front door. That's exactly right. Um, but I don't know that we're going to be able to harden schools like we can. I mean, even when I was over in Afghanistan doing all that, we have super hardened places, and they're st- we still got attacked. So, uh, you know, um, I don't know what the answer is yet, but I know that my time is up. But, man, now, I, I love coming and talking to you. I love That's it. right. Okay. And uh, good luck to you, and I'll see you back in Arkansas. Colonel, we appreciate Thanks, your time. Dave. Thank all you right. very Thank much. You, Thank you, Colonel. All right, got to get a break in. 
Bob Dane up next. We're going to talk about illegal immigration. Don't miss it on the next segment from CPAC 2018 in Washington, D.C. Talk to you later. Listen up, veterans. If you're a senior wartime veteran or a surviving spouse of a wartime veteran, you may be entitled to an improved pension benefit from the VA. This benefit is designed to help pay for the cost of assisted living and in-home care. As we get older, we may need the assistance of others, and this VA benefit is designed to help pay for that. Call me. I'm Kimbrough Stevens. In my law firm, the Juris Law Group specializes in helping folks get this much-needed benefit, commonly referred to as aid and attendance. If you are a married veteran, you can receive as much as $25,000 per year, and we offer a no-risk consultation. So call us today and get the benefits you've earned. We have a proven track record, and we know how to qualify veterans for this benefit. Call us at 501-400-8250 or look us up online at juristlawgroup.com. Call us at 501-400-8250 or Google me, Kimbrough Stevens, and we look forward to hearing from you. All right, let's get into the uh, 3 o'clock hour here on our final day at CPAC 2018. And uh, my thanks to Katie Hopkins for coming by and, and spending you know, nearly uh, an hour with us. And a awesome. very, very exceptional lady in interview. Let me ask uh, Bob Dane, who's joining us now. And you know Bob. Bob's been on my show many a time, or Ira Melman or somebody from FAIR uh, joins us when we want to talk about uh, illegal immigration. The president was here today speaking, and uh, he told the crowd here, we're going to give you, get you to wall. Do you think that's still possible? I think the first thing he needs to do is get the cost of water down. Here at CPAC, we've just hit a new low. I know. $4 for uh, Aquafina. Nothing against Aquafina. It's yeah. delicious. I was wondering. I'm like, are they $4. doing that because these are all conservatives? <laughs> I, I wondered, why Why are the water and everything so expensive here? Yeah, a cup of coffee's four bucks. Yeah, it's crazy. Look, I, I you know, I think uh, Trump's first year in office um, it's a, it was on, on the immigration issue. It was a little bit like um, eating Chinese food. Um, immediately after take, immediately after taking office, uh, we had a lot of robust executive action, and then throughout the year, you had an intensification of uh, removals of criminal aliens, a focus on MS-13, adding new immigration judges. Um, more border walls were put up, an end to catch and release, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then things kind of petered out. And the next logical step was legislation. Executive action is good. It will continue. The president is committed to using all of his resources constitutionally, unlike Obama, to enforce the laws of our land. But really the gold standard is legislation. As we got to the end of the year, things kind of petered out. Um, we had several go-arounds in Congress to get legislation passed. And it was one failed continuing resolution after the other. Uh, so we're, we've just seen the debacle in the Senate uh, two weeks ago. Yeah. Well, here, here's a big problem I got is the judiciary branch of the government. And I'm not talking about just in Washington, D.C. I'm talking about across the country. You've got a judge that's somewhere out west somewhere, San Francisco maybe, who, you know, stops the president's uh, whole thing about people coming into our, our nation from yep. terrorist, na uh, terrorist nations. And one guy can screw it all up and put it in limbo for months. 
Yeah, and that's the problem. For example, sanctuary cities. Okay, so the president and the Department of Justice are doing their best to fight these dangerous sanctuary city policies. Uh, and they're attempting to strip funding from local jurisdictions like San Francisco or Chicago or Philly or Detroit or here in Washington that harbor these dangerous sanctuary policies. But you're right. Uh, the problem is you get these activist judges who um, will continue to dog the administration, hold it up in court. They did that at the beginning of last year on yep. all of those executive actions. And then, of course, you've got the recalcitrant politicians who will dig in their heels. I mean, you've got the mayor of Chicago who has basically given the middle finger to Trump and said, I will go to jail if you attempt to stop my sanctuary well, let's, policies let's here and strip money. Do it. Yeah. Let's see if he'll do it. Let's push it so hard that we go in and handcuff him and can put him in jail. You know, sanctuary policies are just a part of the reform package that we need and that we were promised. I mean, think about it. If you go back a year ago when Trump came into office, we were all pretty energized that the president would be making good on his promises, ending sanctuary policies, enacting mandatory E-Verify, worksite verification, securing our border, eliminating the visa lottery, and lowering legal immigration to more sensible levels. You get into about the middle of the year. You know, some of that has been done by an executive by executive powers. Not so much, though. Then in the middle of the year, the president telegraphs that, OK, maybe I'm open to a compromise for 700,000 so-called DACA kids. Right. Flash forward to two weeks ago. 1.8 million. Yeah. We get we get uh, legislation in the Senate. And what do the Democrats do? They go completely out of their minds. And uh, you've got t- you had two bills offered by the Democrats that were not 700,000. It was 1.8. And then the Collins bill was 12 million illegal aliens. Both sides of the aisle threw up their hands, and we continue to have an impasse on this issue. So a gr- I think a great question here. Didn't Trump put the Democrats in a quandary? I mean, he offered 700,000, which was more than what he admitted that he would allow in. The Democrats had been saying about 700,000 for a while. They get to 700,000 and they leave the DACA's out there hanging, you know, from the gallows. Yeah, the problem with the DACA debate is it's um, all of the reforms that we were promised um, have been eclipsed by DACA. DACA, DACA, DACA. And the problem is that Americans understand the lessons of past amnesties, yep. that in these grand, grandiose, grand bargain omnibus bills, the American public are promised vigorous enforcement and illegal aliens are promised uh, amnesty. And guess what happens? You know, 10, 20 years later from 86, 96, Americans get squat and illegal aliens uh, are promised their amnesty. Our position at the Federation for American Immigration Reform has been not necessarily that there isn't some reasonable compromise on DACA, but rather that these reforms have to be put in place first so that the American public is assured and guaranteed that we will not be repeating the mistakes of the past. We've been at this, Dave, as you've know, as you know, for almost 40 years. Yeah. FAIR has learned the mistakes of the past. I think most of the public has. Not sure the president is aware of this. All right. So where are we right now? Are we just treading water and waiting what they want to do? Uh, the president's trying to get the infrastructure bill through. Does he want to take a shot at that and illegal immigration at the same time? I mean, 
I mean, I under you've been around long enough. You know how laws are made and how they they have to wait in line sometimes to be brought up. Is is illegal immigration going to be one of those subjects that they? push to the back of the line? The president will continue vigorous uh, immigration enforcement um, using executive power, but we're on a stalemate with legislation. You know, you said something just a moment ago, and that is that the Republicans did offer the Democrats not only DACA, 700,000, but 1.8 million in return mm-hmm. for the things that we wanted, secure borders and end of sanctuary cities and the end of the visa, visa lottery. Yes. And Schumer and the Schumer Democrats basically said no dice. I think we're in a stalemate. And I think the reason is, and I've come, I, you know, I've come around on my thinking on this over the years. It's always been said that the Democrats really don't want this issue resolved. No, so that they, they continue to use it as a blunt political instrument. Of course. My God, if, if there was ever a perfect example of that in the Senate two weeks ago, uh, the Republicans were willing to give 1.8 million illegal aliens more than double the DACA population in exchange for vigorous enforcement that was promised to them, and they simply walked from the deal. Think about Schumer's, Chuck Schumer's brain. He has every reason in the world to simply continue to say no, to obstruct, to delay and derail all of the Republicans' uh, um, reforms. Uh, that are presented. Why? Because he gets to continue to use the immigration issue as a blunt political instrument. He can use it in the um, in the upcoming midterm elections. And he doesn't even have to, Schumer and the Democrats don't even have to worry about the DACA recipients anymore because there really is no deadline of March f- f- 5th because the court put the president's rescission of that on hold. Right. So how long can they do that and still keep the support of the more left wing of the Latino community, though, will they will they smarten up and say, you know, the Republicans are actually offering a great deal here. Why aren't you all taking it or, or are they just so totally sold out to the Democrats? They don't care either. Well, certainly the Democrats' long-term strategy using immigration is to alter the electorate and to collapse all limiting immigration enforcement um, so that they can rule in perpetuity. I mean, we've got several states out there that, given a few more years, I mean, if you had an amnesty for 12 million illegal aliens and also you didn't have a mitigating um, a reduction of chain migration and a job-inhibiting uh, reform like E-Verify, you'd basically be moving down the road in the next three to five years where it's more or less an absolute uh, uh, certainty that the Democrats well, would have absolute rule. That's Why? Right. Because most immigrants coming in are unfortunately low-skilled, poorly educated, they're not assimilating well, and they don't tend to vote for the party uh, of, of small government. And plus, Democrats are... I mean, they're for them. Of course, why wouldn't why wouldn't you vote for someone who has your back? Yeah, I, you know, I would hope that the Hispanic population, uh, Hispanic Americans who have come here the right way, are not willing to uh, reward their party for rewarding people who've come here the wrong way. And most Hispanic Americans uh, have a fundamental sense of fairness. They've done it the right way. They've waited the right way. And the impact of illegal immigration, wage suppression, crime, um, affects their communities most of all, probably not so much for your neighborhoods. 
but certainly for theirs. All right. Got to get a break in. We'll come back with Bob Dane. We've got another segment with him. I want to talk to him about the visa lottery and some other things as well. 17 minutes after 3 o'clock in Little Rock on the Dave Ellswick Show, live at CPAC here outside of uh, Washington, D.C. More in a moment. All right, we got one more segment here with Bob Dane. Bob Dane uh, is with FAIR. Go to fairus.org. Uh, do that often because you'll keep up on all the different things that are going on in the illegal immigration fight. And uh, you need to keep up with it because, I mean, it can change in a heartbeat in a few minutes. <laughs> Just not, only, it, not only can it and does it change, but we're really at the point uh, where immigration is the most consequential phenomenon facing America. It's the most transformational element defining who we are as a nation and where we are heading. And based on the current trajectory, unless we have some legitimate reforms that secure our borders and instill some some sensible limiting controls uh, into b- both illegal and, and legal immigration, the path is uh, almost um, uh, unfixable. We have a historic opportunity right now to get some things done. What happens is really going to depend on whether the Democrats are willing to bargain off their DACA for some of the reforms that Americans have needed for a long, long time. So what's your thoughts on that, Bob? Will they? You know, I hope that we are, you know, we're we're not only a a very, very divided country, um, but the Democrats, uh, the leadership of the Democrats have gone so far to the left. But, Dave, I hope that we are not in a situation now where this deliberative democratic process of discussing issues and trying to remedy uh, and make remedies in this deliberative body of the uh, of, of the Senate is now um, a, a dead process. Um, it almost feels like in order to move the needle on immigration, frankly, you need to not only control the White House, but both houses of Congress with a supermajority and a filibuster-proof majority. And the judiciary. And the judiciary, right. And, I mean, Trump is getting a lot more judges confirmed and on the bench, and uh, my, I keep my fingers crossed that Kennedy yeah. will retire this year and we get another true conservative on the Gorsuch-type uh, conservative. I, I think I, we should be upbeat about this because certainly, you know, we, we could do chapter on verse about why uh, Trump was elected 15 months ago. But he did uh, come to Washington on a wave of populism, anti-establishment sentiment, and certainly on the immigration issue. And I think the American public has woken up to the fact that um, there really are, you know, we've been told for decades that there's two morally equivalent sides of this immigration. Um, no, there's debate. one side that's the true side. And the reason for that is is because the opposition, those who advocate for open borders and endless immigration, have narrow self-interest in mind. They're using immigration for cheap labor and for instant votes. But they're masquerading and dupliciously telling us it's, it's under the rubric of uh, compassion. Our side... We understand that immigration has made America great. We will always have immigration, but it has to have some sensible level to it, and it has to address our broad national interest. And what are those interests? Um, National security and equilibrium between the available, the number of human beings in the country and the available amount of jobs and um, our cultural unity. Right now, we have immigration that is exceeding the rate of assimilation 
and no country can survive that over the long run. It's time to slow down, have more sensible levels of immigration, vigorous enforcement, and closed borders. All right, so let's talk about the, uh, the lottery that's going on out there for uh, visas. One of the uh, the more uh, bizarre and just completely useless um, uh, entry points into the United States is what's called the visa lottery. And each year, the United States offers 55,000 visas uh, worldwide. And anyone from any country that isn't properly represented in the uh, current flow can basically uh, put it. Put their put their uh, ticket throw, into throw a hat. Their name in, yep. Yep, and and their names are pulled out of a hat like it's some sort of grandiose uh, sweepstakes. It really makes no sense at, at all. It needs to be scrapped. Too many of the recipients of the visa lotteries are coming in from high risk countries. That's a huge concern. One of the Trump principles on his immigration reform policy, in addition to border enforcement and ending chain migration, is ending the visa lottery. Yeah, well, we know what it brings us. We had a guy drive a truck down a bike path and kill people yeah. that came in on the visa lottery. Yeah, not all of our national security reforms will be addressed by tightening immigration, but to the extent that we secure our borders, that we have stronger um, enforcement of those already here, that we identify those who are here from high-risk countries that weren't properly screened, that we have a legitimate entry-exit program in place, biometric entry and exit. Those are factors that can reduce national uh, security risk. You know, legitimate solutions, because doing nothing isn't going to do anything. I mean, even if that's not the exact answers, you still well, have by, to do something. But well, the Democrats want to do nothing, nothing be, right. because it keeps the status quo. Sure. Every country has the right and the responsibility to uh, maintain the security of their borders and uphold their national uh, sovereignty. And, um, you know, really all Trump is trying to do is reestablish, reset an error of the normal rate of immigration. Uh, having uh, interior enforcement, border enforcement, vetting, and having an immigration policy that serves a broad national interest, that's basically a normal day in any country on planet Earth. What is abnormal has been the last eight years of the Obama administration systematically whittling away all enforcement, most of it unconstitutionally, open borders. That's abnormal. All right, let's talk about Tom Cotton, Senator Cotton. He's... uh came up with some great ideas with the rise uh, law and getting rid of just chain migration and getting into migration that people have to have a marketable skill or something to be able to come and stay in this country. Uh, are we are we closer to getting that taken care of or are the Democrats sold on chain migration as well? Well, the Democrats are certainly uh, sold on chain migration. Mass immigration certainly serves their political interest. The Raise Act by Senator Cotton, great guy, uh, that has been rolled into the president's framework on immigration. Right. The president's framework on immigration is pretty simple, A, B, and C. Border security, an end to chain migration, and a shifting to more merit-based mm-hmm. so that, you know, when you come in, you're not followed by all of your second cousins in the entire village. Um, you know, one person equaling 30 is mathematically exponentializing our population. And, you know, you, you simply can't have infinite growth in finite places. The third point of the president's... <coughs> agenda is the elimination of the visa uh, lottery. Mm -hmm. The problem is, and and those are good starting points, but uh, 
the president's plan to end chain, chain migration using Senator Cotton's framework isn't going to help us for the next 10 to 15 years because there's 4 million people in the backlog and the Trump plan will accommodate anyone who's already in line like you are at the grocery oh store my. to be able to... Uh, I hadn't you know, heard that. Also, the president's plan does not include two vital elements, and frankly, it's, his plan is a no-go unless these are put on. It does not address sanctuary cities, dangerous sanctuary cities. FAIR just did a new report. In three years, we have gone in the United States of America from 300 sanctuary jurisdictions to 595. We're not making progress. The other thing absent of the president's plan is mandatory E-Verify. You've got seven out of ten illegal aliens already who are in the country occupying right. jobs they have no legal right to. Unacceptable. So you, if you put in E-Verify, uh, you, you sort of have an insurance policy against uh, the chain migration people coming in. All right. So we're out of time. Yep. I could do another half hour with you, and then we could give another hour after that right. talking about this problem. So, Bob, for my listeners, uh, FairUS.org is the place to go to keep up on the latest of this, right? Yep, and Fair has a robust Facebook page and Twitter, social media footprint. Good to see you here. Dave. Good to see you nice too, Bob. Nice to see you. All right, I'll be talking with you in the near future. We'll do the phone the next time. All right, we got to get to Fox News. When we come back, more guests coming your way. Bob Dane, our special guest this half hour. Hope that brings you up uh, in uh, your knowledge about what's going on with illegal immigration. More after Fox. Back with you at CPAC. Good to have you along for the ride. This is our last day here. Uh, When we finish up at uh, 6 o'clock, we'll call it an end. But don't worry, I'll continue on at CPAC next week and probably the week after. We've done 21 pre-recorded interviews with all kinds of people that uh, we'll be playing back. we got Ambassador Bolton and some other folks that had some really important things to say uh, to us. All right, so this half hour, we're going to talk again about an, a topic <clears throat> that is important enough that there has been just a huge group of guests talking about freedom of speech here at the... Uh, at, the, at CPAC. The only other topic that has been covered more extensively is guns because of what happened at, at Parkland. So Emily is with us. She is at one of those really liberal colleges. <laughs> now, first of all, Emily, which state were you? did you live in? I lived in Connecticut growing up. Okay, well, Connecticut is kind of in a little bit of a liberal bastion, all right? But you said it was unbelievably worse than what you ever expected. And, and, and Emily goes to Harvard. That's what, did, did I do a pretty good job on that? I think you did. The way job. they say that? Okay. That's supposed to be one of our premier learning institutions. And you would think being, you know, given that kind of a moniker... That one of the things that you would want to do is to make sure that your students are challenged in their thoughts so that they grow in their intellect. And the old saying, iron sharpens iron, is very apropos when you go to college. I mean, when I went to college, I thought I knew everything. But 
to hear somebody give me a, a spiel about something that was just totally different from what I believed was good because it, I may not believed it, but it made me take the time to defend what I believed and disassemble what they, what they believed. It, it, it's not that way anymore, though. People attack you, keep you from expressing what you believe. They intimidate you, and they won't even bring in a speaker that is a conservative speaker because it's the conservatives that are taking it on the chin. Am I not correct? Oh, absolutely. I think that conservatives are the people who are having their rights stripped from them when they're not allowed to speak on their own campuses. But I also think that liberals are getting the raw end of the deal, too, because they're not getting an education. I think that's a big problem on these campuses that the liberals don't even realize is that when they are prevented from hearing viewpoints that disagree with them, they aren't getting the education that they were promised. You know, people come to Harvard because they think that they're going to learn so much, but when they're only hearing one side of the story, and that's the side that already agrees with them, they're not only not learning the actual viewpoints of half the country, but they're also not learning how to articulate themselves and how to talk about issues. Because when all you do is sit in your dorm room and talk to people who believe the exact same thing that you do, you're not learning how to talk about issues at all. And when you get into the real world, that's not going to serve you well. That, that, that was going to be my, my next question, because, you know, someone who goes to a college and you're attacked because you got a certain belief system, you know, we can see the damage there. What you brought up is the damage you're doing to the people that you tell them, that's right, you can shut everybody else up, and just, uh, you know, sit in your own echo chamber. It doesn't do that when you go out and you join a business and the culture of that business. Exactly. And I think that it's going to have to have a culture change really soon because people are going to get into the working world and their bosses are not going to want to deal with people who have been taught that they are always right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think that there are too many people out in the world who are leaving these colleges having been told that every single microaggression needs to be addressed and every single little problem needs to have a university task force task force on dealing with it (laughs) you know i think when you get to the real world your employer is going to say you need to suck it up or else you're fired and these people are going to end up jobless or searching for some kind of community a safe space or some puppies to cuddle after work (laughs) Now, you're going to love this, that uh, Emily works for Campus Reform. You're one of those, I don't know, hundreds of journalists that Campus Reform has out there. Are you a journalism major? I'm not. I'm a government major. Okay. Well, good. That's good. That makes me feel good about the future. <laughs> I'm, I agree At with least you. by one. Right. No, I agree <laughs> with you on the, um, the, the liberals not learning and not getting their education. To me, when you debate... And you do it peacefully. You learn. You each learn from each other. But they don't want to. They want to shut. They just want to shut you down and not hear the other side of that coin. And that's the whole thing about learning. You have to learn both sides of it. Absolutely. I mean, I think, like, when you're teaching a class on healthcare policy and you say that all the right believes that there should be no laws. <laughs> like, that's not teaching anyone anything. Well, I mean, like you, like you were talking about being in the real world, that's why people have teams. Mm-hmm. Because each person has a different opinion on things and a different way to look at how to do the job. Right. And that's why they ask each one of them, what's your, well, what's your opinion? What's your opinion? Yeah. If you, don't, if you don't know how to work in that, 
then yeah, you're you're right. They're probably just going to say bye. Absolutely. So, what's the last story you covered from the social justice warriors? So, most recently, um, one of the stories that I have covered and looked into was um, the Betsy DeVos protests. Okay. So, uh, Secretary DeVos came to speak at Harvard, and um, there were so many protesters outside. And then during her speech, um, they had situated themselves in the audience, and they unfurled banners reading things like white supremacist and um, Harvard can do better. Things like that, because the university had actually good on them, invited her to speak um, and given her a platform. But students refused to accept it, and instead of actually listening to her her speech, which was all about school choice and empowering parents, they refused to even listen to this, which has a lot of statistical evidence backing it up. Sure. And they just said, you know, you're a white supremacist, when in fact it's actually minority communities that are benefiting so much from charter schools, which is her, her big issue. Okay, so here's here I gotta ask this question. They unfurled banners and things like did they shout her down as well? So they didn't, which I think was something that was made very clear at the beginning of her speech by the university was that if anybody prevented the speech from taking place, they would be removed. But I think they did while they didn't actually prevent her from speaking, she was able to continue actually using her voice. These banners were preventing people from seeing her. Right. Uh-huh. So why don't you they know, just not go? You exactly. want to hear what she has to say? Then don't go. Right. I don't go to every single liberal speaker. It's because, everyone's right you know, to have. I don't right. Always want to listen, but right. you know I'm forced to listen a lot of the time, and I think I'm better for it. But you know, just don't go if you're going to protest. Right. I mean, just don't ruin it for everyone else that does want to hear it and that does. Right. Because everyone has a different experience in life. Exactly. That's what leads us to our beliefs. Yeah. And. Why can't I hear what I want to hear and without you protesting in the back? That's just crazy. Exactly. Or not allow it, or like not allow protesting so badly, like with Ben Shapiro, that right. he almost didn't have to come unless exactly. he was going to pay so much money for the to build his own wall. Yeah. Right. Like it's one thing if you want to have protesters outside saying, you know, I don't agree with school choice for X reason, but it's another thing to entirely prevent one side from being heard. Right. Yeah. Well, that's exactly what they're battle plan is, is to try to keep the other side from being heard. And I'll give Harvard credit that they didn't let them shout her down because that is one of their modus operandi's anymore is they can, if they can't keep you from coming, they, the way they silence are silencing people is making it so nobody can hear them. Yeah. And I was... And that's, cen- that's censorship. Yeah. Plain and Absolutely. simple. Absolutely. And so, so you're a political uh, major. Mm-hmm. You sound like you're conservative. <laughs> that I am. Okay, so now it gets interesting. I bet you that every one of your professors, maybe there might be one that's a conservative, but most of them are very liberal. How do you get through those classes? Do they look at how you believe when they're grading you and things of that nature? So I've never had anyone openly say that they would, but before I got involved in, you know, conservatism off campus and before I talked to people who told me, you know, that's really not okay, there were classes where I was afraid to, to voice my own opinions. You know, I mentioned um, this healthcare policy class. There was a question on the final exam that said, name two advantages or two disadvantages to the Affordable Care Act. But the only disadvantage, and make sure you cite uh, evidence from the class, from the readings and from the lectures. The only disadvantages that they had taught us were in comparison to single payer. What? Yeah. 
So they not said, everyone losing their insurance or right. I mean, yeah. See, that's the way you control the narrative. Well, and that's how, well, look, they're the teachers and they're liberals, so that's the only information they get because they won't go and get the rest of the information, so that's the information they teach you. Right. And it was framed as, you know, we, ha- we now have two options, the Affordable Care Act or single-payer health care, because, you know, the Republicans don't have an alternative. And that was, that was how the issue was taught in school. By, yeah. The professor was one of the architects of the ACA. No. Oh, nice. What a big surprise. I right? would have tread lightly on that one then just to get through the class. Right. No, um, I wouldn't have. No. I gotta say, <laughs> no, I wouldn't have. I would have let him have it. I, I would have. I flunked. Oh, well. I can no. <laughs> imagine that's exactly how she felt. Yeah. Yeah. See, that sends a chill through freedom of speech. If you know you're going to be completely punished because of it, you got to get through your classes. So it shuts you up. Yeah, well, I mean, I went to ASU. I didn't go to Harvard. Congratulations on Thank that. You. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, not but, easy to get in there. But when I was in college, my teachers would tell me, I'm not telling you how to vote. I'm not telling you how I'm voting for. I'm not doing that. And, I, you know, we felt free enough to speak up in our opinions. And we'd get in fights in class. <laughs> But it was great because it was the freedom to do so and to debate in class. But I, I've talked to teachers, or I mean students that go there now. It's not the same. Not that way. No. Yeah, no. I actually reported on a story out of ASU where... Arkansas uh, State? Oh, no. Yeah. Arizona State. Yes. Okay. I always make that. Yes. Uh, Arkansas State University. Okay. But what, tell your story. Oh, the story at uh, Arizona State was that a professor was offering credit to a class on uh, social movements to um, build a protest of President Trump. And you could get, you could skip your final exam if you went did this, did this protest. What? Yeah. Oh this was last spring. That's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. That's not education. Right. And they called it what? Was the terminology uh, the behind? The terminology of the class was, I think, like movements in social justice or something like that. Yeah, but, but I guarantee that you know they would not have counted attending a protest uh, against Planned Parenthood. Oh yeah. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what movement I think of when. <laughs> <laughs> you might not that. like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that is a pure movement. I need some toilet paper for that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> All right, a break, and then we're back with more here from CPAC in Washington, D.C. All right, back with you, Dave Ellswick's show. Emily is with us, and uh, Emily, you uh, are a reporter for uh, Campus Reform. We had uh, Cabot Phillips on yesterday. I've had campus reform on a, a lot of time uh, talking about freedom of speech. It's interesting that in some of the campuses where they've gone over the top, let's talk about the University of Missouri. The University of Missouri is down 30% in their enrollment, and it's directly tied to what they was it last year that they did all that crazy stuff? Yeah. You know, and I don't even know if they can get college football players to come there any longer. Well, you know, I think it's a shame that the University of doing that is doing that, but it's good on students for not submitting themselves to these horrible things happening on campus. You know, I think it is ultimately going to be up to students to look at schools and see what they're doing and see what their free speech policies are, see what their freedom of association policies are and only give their money and their time to schools that deserve it, schools that are going to, you know, give you a chance to express yourself. You know, I was a journalism major and a radio TV mi- uh, minor, 
Uh, I was written in this position. Journalism major, philosophy major, radio and TV minor, and a political science minor. And so I look back at that time, and I thought about going, excuse me, to Columbia, Missouri, to the University of Missouri, because it was one of the best journalism schools in the nation. It ain't that way anymore. Absolutely. And I think it's incredibly important, especially for journalism schools, that we get um, our journalism students in places where freedom of speech is welcome and where both sides are represented. I mean, I think we all can remember that one woman running at the photographers and trying to confiscate their cameras and tell and call them basically, you know, communists and all. She was the one that was exhibiting communist tendencies and Nazi tendencies with what her actions were. Absolutely. I think that's something we're seeing more and more is that the left is turning into this um, or this organization that's seeking to take away people's First Amendment rights. Except for theirs. Right. Exactly. Um, and they're claiming to be these, you know, supporters of everyone's rights and everyone's, you know, liberty. But really, they are become the opposite of that. Like, I, I think that, like, I think that Milo makes people mad. Sometimes he makes good points, but otherwise he just irritates people. But the thing about it is, is that he shouldn't have, he shouldn't be um, not able to speak. And then the thing about it is he's gay, but they hate him. Yeah. And then they'll say he hates <laughs> the LGBT community. It's right. like it's like saying Ben Carson hates black people. Yeah, he's racist. saying that I hate women. Yeah, mm-hmm. like yeah. I hate I hate Hillary Clinton and I'm racist. Or I mean, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm a woman hater. It's yeah, like, it's like it's where crazy. does that come from? You're it's, an anti-feminist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I get that all. The I'm time. an anti-woman. Okay. Do you, do you right. really get that? Oh yeah. Yeah, I am. Um, I'm involved with a conservative women's group on campus, and I've been told multiple times that, you know, you must hate women because you believe X issue. You know, you don't want an equal rights amendment, or you don't want um, abortion on demand. So, therefore, you must hate women. How many are you in your conservative women's group? We have about fifteen. That's it. Yeah. Well, it is Harvard. Yeah. <laughs> Not well, too many conservative women. At least you have 15. Yeah. We're growing. We're trying. That's good. That's yeah. good. Do those women shave their pits? <laughs> I believe. From what I can see, I believe I had so. to ask. <laughs> I think he's talking about the liberal ones. Yeah, the liberal ones. Yeah, the ones, the ones at the tables next door. Um, conservatives are not that stupid. Shave their legs? Yeah, I mean, you, you definitely see people who don't on campus. Are you serious? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They want to be Yuck. French. They're just lazy. They want to be a frog. They want to <laughs> be a frog. That's just lazy. I'm just telling you. That was one of the things when I was over a part of France. I didn't go to Paris, but that was something that I looked at and I just said, "You got to be kidding me." No wonder Frenchmen not like American <laughs> women. Not interesting. Absolutely well, not. Well, conservative maybe. <laughs> okay, so what is it going to take to change the tide? Towards the ability to share all viewpoints on campuses. Is there it, is there things that college students? I mean, I got young listening audience as well. What can they do to battle that without getting thrown out? I think students need to stand up for their rights and demand from the university that they are able to speak and that their friends are able to speak and that they are able to bring speakers to campus because. I think what we've seen on a lot of universities is that they're seeing the example of 
Berkeley, of Middlebury, and seeing how, honestly, how bad the PR is for those schools and realizing, you know, we need to make a change. We need to make sure that conservative students can speak. And I think that's something that's been going really well at Harvard is that even though the students aren't really responding, I think, I mean, overall, the problem is two-pronged. You have administrations that don't welcome conservatives, and then you also have students who don't welcome conservatives. And I think it's going to be way harder to change the students, but I think if the administration goes first and says, you know, we welcome ideological diversity here, then the students will have to follow. And I really think that that's the way forward, is that conservative students have to make their voices heard on campus. I can't tell you how many students have come up to me after I do an interview or after I write an article and say, you know, thank you so much for saying that, because I believe that too, but I would be too scared to do it. Say that, that's... What, that's that chilling effect yeah, I'm talking about. Exactly. They're afraid it's a real problem. that they'll get not only attacked, but maybe they don't pass the next class. Exactly. They're threatening their grades. They're threatening their physical safety. They're threatening their social networks. And, you know, to college students, that's a big deal. Like, you don't want to lose all your friends just because of your politics. Yeah. And people stay quiet. And that is the wrong thing. When you're on college campus, you need to be able to talk about the issues that matter. And you need to be able to talk with other people who disagree with you. You need to be able to form your own opinions. And if we're chilling all kinds of speech, people are not going to learn what they actually believe in. Emily Hall, thank you so much for coming over and sitting down and talking to us. And, you know, it's important to hear Emily because she's living it right now. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. We appreciate that. So Dave Ellswick's show, we got to get uh, back to the station. We're at CPAC in Washington, D.C., in one of the most expensive cities in the world. <laughs> For sure. Here. When I come back, I'll be broke. There's no doubt about it. Just <laughs> buying bottles of water will break you here. We're starving here. No, yeah. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, we're not starving yeah. because of good folks at Last Resort Firearms right. that helped us out as far as uh, being able to eat. All right, back in the next hour, we're going to take a break for Fox News, and then uh, we'll continue from CPAC. All right, so we move into the 4 o'clock hour in our central time zone, 5 o'clock here at CPAC. And uh, Dr. Bonner Cohen joins us. He's a senior fellow at the National Center where he concentrates on energy, uh, natural resources, and international relations. And, uh, Doctor, I've had John before. I don't know if you remember being I on my show. I certainly do. And uh, you're going to talk about uh, some issues that I am really sold out on. And you and I have lamented the previous administration for many years. And now we got a new administration and we got a new president. And one of the things that I was so excited about is where he understands what you and I have understood for a long time, that America has unlimited natural resources, natural gas, coal, oil, all of those and others uh, as well, and that we can dominate the energy field now. I'll let you just talk about it, because you are a man who knows about this. Well, you're absolutely right, Dave. Uh, President Trump has understood something uh, that has completely eluded uh, so many of his predecessors, namely that with our abundance of natural resources, you mentioned oil, uh, natural gas, and coal, the United States is in a position 
uh, to achieve the goal that Trump outlined last summer, namely American global energy dominance. The United States is already the world's largest producer of natural gas, having surpassed Russia uh, six years ago. We are on our way to becoming the world's largest producer of oil. That will be in a few years. And for decades, we have been the world's largest producer of coal. In fact, we have the largest coal reserves in the world. Now, Trump has taken off so many of the regulations imposed by the Environmental Protection Agency, uh, thereby enabling us to get at our resources, providing the American public with affordable and reliable electricity and affordable and reliable transportation fuel. That is not only going to benefit the American economy and benefit American families, but there are huge geopolitical implications of all of this. Why? Because we are now in a position to export so much of our oil and natural gas and coal, thereby completely turning over global energy markets. Some of our older listeners may well remember, though not fondly remember, uh, the OPEC oil embargo of 1973, when we had huge gas lines uh, forming up outside uh, gas stations because there was a lack of uh, gas. Well, no more. Uh, OPEC is not in a position to do that now. Why? Because we are now an oil exporting nation. And um, thanks to the miracle of American uh, ingenuity, technological ingenuity, making use of our gigantic shale formations all across the country, uh, we can get at oil and natural gas. It's been there all along, but we simply didn't have the technology to do it. Well, now we do. But we not only have the technology, we have in the White House a president with the will to remove barriers that will enable us to get to those resources. So what we're doing is we can produce oil and natural gas cheaper than just about anyone else and much cheaper than Russia can do. Okay, so let, let me stop you for a second yeah. because... You've mentioned natural gas twice. Mm -hmm. We liquefy natural gas now. So why would Britain, France, Germany, Belgium, the Netherlands buy their natural gas from Russia and be able to be blackmailed by their regime when they can buy it directly from American companies at a better price? And then we can all undermine Russia. Well, that is exactly what is starting to happen uh, because uh, the uh, export terminals are just now coming online uh, in the South mid to South Atlantic coast uh, and along the Gulf Coast and with more coming. And the more export terminals we have, the more liquefied natural gas we will be able to export. We are already uh, exporting liquefied natural gas in a limited way uh, to Europe now. 
thereby providing, as you pointed out, an alternative, a very financially attractive and geopolitically attractive alternative to being solely dependent on, on Russia for, for Europe's natural gas. As more of these export terminals come online, we will be able to export more liquefied natural gas. And at that point, yeah, I think you will see countries throughout Europe uh, increasingly purchasing American natural gas. They don't want to be blackmailed by Russia. Poland, for instance, is one of the uh, uh, interesting targets for this. The Poles and the Russians have a long history, which is not a very pretty one. And the the very last thing that the Polish people want is to be dependent on the Russians for anything, much less their electricity. So you will see uh, in the years to come, uh, U.S. natural gas be exported, but not just to, to Europe. It's going to go to Asia. The Japanese are very interested in this, as well as to South America. And we are also exporting coal. Uh, well, we've got, yeah. we got 500 years' worth of coal uh, to be exported. That's right. And one of the great ironies... Uh, Some of our best customers for U.S. coal are none other than France and Germany, both of which condemned President Trump from withdrawing the United States from the Paris Climate Change Agreement, uh, an agreement that was aimed at our fossil fuels wealth. And yet these countries have put all their eggs, or most of them anyway, in the renewable fuels basket, which is actually a racket, thereby driving up the cost of electricity in those countries enormously and also leading to energy shortages, which they're making up by importing nothing less than U.S. coal. Millions and millions of tons every year. So what what we're seeing is... Uh, President Trump completely churning uh, the global energy markets to the advantage of the United States and to the detriment of OPEC and to the detriment of Russia. And nobody recognizes that any more than Russia, which is now funneling millions of dollars every year to U.S. environmental groups to do what? To oppose fracking and to oppose the export of uh, liquefied natural gas and uh, to oppose uh, oil and gas pipelines, proposed oil and gas pipelines all across the country because Putin has enough sense to know that he can't compete with American oil, natural gas, and coal, and he's doing everything he can, including sending over plenty of money from uh, the Russian oligarchs to environmental groups in this country, which are already well-funded to begin with. Yeah, and, and let's talk about why that is, because... The Russians are depending upon oil and natural gas to keep funding what they're doing in their own country. Exactly. We're going to make it where it's going to be virtually impossible for them to rebuild their military. That's right. See, the Russia Russia doesn't have a diversified economy at all. Uh, go to the local Walmart or what have you and look around for items made in Russia. You aren't going to find, uh, uh, other than maybe the liquor section where there's some vodka, you're not going to find anything. Yeah, babushka. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so um, Russia's economy is kind of a one-trick pony in the sense that it is highly dependent upon oil and natural gas exports. But if that oil and natural gas cannot compete with cheaper American oil and natural gas, the Russians are going to be up the creek without a paddle, Mm -hmm. and they know it. 
So uh, I fully expect them to do everything they can uh, to c- continue uh, colluding, to use a fashionable word, with American environmental groups to undercut the U.S. Uh, energy sector. In fact, uh, for all the discussion that has taken place about uh, collusion, the real collusion, of course, or one of the uh, uh, forms of collusion, is taking place uh, between Vladimir Putin and the U.S. environmental movement, both of which have an interest in undermining the U.S. Uh, uh, domestic energy sector. Yeah, it, it's so interesting. Uh, I could hear the howls coming from Russia and coming from other places that you know, OPEC and whatnot, when the president announced that they were opening up a good section of Alaska for drilling. I mean, look at what Anwar, how many years, what what did they say at the very beginning? They thought Anwar was going to be good for maybe uh, 20, 25 years, and it's been online for how many years now? Right. Uh, the, the thing about it is, these predictions about how long a certain resource is going to be around is is highly dependent upon uh, how technology develops. And we have found out in, 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 in fracking and in, 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 uh, shale formations throughout the U.S., uh, the more we drill, the more we find. And we do that simply because our technology improves. Uh, it's hydraulic uh, uh, f- fracturing, known as fracking, horizontal drilling, and seismic imaging. We can look down and see things down there that, we, that, was, that have always been there, but we couldn't see them t- 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. So technology is not going to stand still. So we are not about to run out of any of our abundant uh, fossil fuel resources, oil, coal, and natural gas. And fortunately, we at long last have a president in the White House who recognizes how important that is, not only, again, for the American economy, but for the global economy and for the geopolitical position of the United States. All right. So you tell me, when's the last time you saw a story on peak oil. Uh, yeah. Uh, Remember in the 80s and early oh, 90s? it was fashionable. It was leaving. We, we were running out of we were oil. Running out of, we were running out. Well, they said we were running out of everything, right? That's true. Uh, but one of the things we were supposed to be running out of was oil. And truth of the matter is, all of a sudden you don't hear uh, peak oil anymore. Nope. Because the fracking revolution has put an end to that. And I dare say we will probably never run out of oil. Sometime, 100, 200, 300 years from now, we'll come up with something else, uh, which none that's of us... That's right. Our technology uh, will make up the difference. That's e- exactly right. So, believe me, we will never run out of oil. We will never run out of natural gas. It will always be there at some point down the road, uh, hundreds, 200 years from now. We'll be using something else, hydrogen or, or, or something else for our energy supply. But no more peak oil, folks. Uh, that that was a very fashionable thing oh, that, that the chattering classes had a lot of fun talking about, but they have been proved wrong yet again. Yeah, Dr. Cohen is our guest. Uh, I got to get a break in, doctor. Let's take a break, and then All we right. come back. I want to talk about uh, coal. Because, you know, the war on coal, and it was a true war oh, it was. here in the United States. But we'll, we'll talk about, were the coal companies losing their shirts? Well, they started to when they told them they couldn't send it overseas. Before then, India and China and everybody else was buying coal 
making cheaper energy, and the people in America were paying higher prices while the people overseas were paying lower prices. We'll talk about it when we come back. 20 after 4 at CPAC 2018, the Dave Ellswick Show, 96.5 FM, The Answer. All right, back for the last uh, five minutes of uh, this segment uh, with Dr. Bonner-Cohen. We've been talking about energy. He's with the National Center. He concentrates on energy and natural resources. And I want to talk to him about the biggest scam that has been perpetuated on mankind, and that's climate change or climate warming. Ask this part of the country and on the east coast and whatever and around chicago where it's been one of the coldest winters ever uh, about global warming but uh, you got you say you call it the climate industrial complex i love that because that's exactly what it is it's a bunch of organizations that are milking the american public Milking the American public and actually milking the uh, the global uh, public because the the agenda is not only uh, being imposed here in the United States or they're trying to impose it, but it's a global thing. Uh, In the name of uh, protecting us uh, from what they would have us believe is man-made, used to call it global warming, that was rebranded as climate change. Yeah, that way you uh, can say if it's cold, that's it's right. climate change. If that's it, right. You know. All bases are covered that way. That's so right. if, if, if there's fog in Toledo, hey, that's climate change. Yeah, okay? absolutely. Right. And um, uh, in the name of protecting us uh, from that climate change, which they would have us believe is brought about by the combustion of fossil fuels, uh, regulations across the board were adopted uh, in the U.S. and elsewhere. The purpose of the exercise is to concentrate power, uh, in the case of the United States, in Washington, uh, primarily through the Environmental Protection Agency, EPA, to impose rules and regulations that allegedly target Uh, emissions uh, that are said to be responsible for uh, excessively high levels of carbon dioxide and other so-called greenhouse gases. And then we could lower those emissions and save the planet from man-made global warming. There's uh, zero scientific evidence for any of this, and there never has been. The term climate change, in fact, is redundant. Climates always change. We've had 17 ice ages in the last 2 million years. And we are currently living in an interglacial period, which means we're living between the last ice age and the next one. And we can be glad we are living in an interglacial period because living in an ice age is not fun. This gave the Obama administration the justification for its war on coal. And it was a war, and it was a war that really took no prisoners. Environmental regulations were set for uh, emissions from coal-fired power plants around the United States that Obama's EPA knew full well they could never meet. So you set up an absolutely impossible goal. Uh, You make this a standard. And that then provided uh, enormous pressure on utilities around the country to Mm -hmm. abandon coal and to switch to natural gas. Correct. And um, that was a a business decision they made under enormous regulatory pressure from EPA. 
that resulted in a loss of thousands and thousands of uh, coal miner jobs and, else, and, and other jobs in the coal industry. And believe me, after they finished with coal, they were simply going to move on to natural gas next. The purpose of the exercise being to make renewable sources of energy uh, wind and solar as price competitive as possible. These are the sources of energy which are intermittent and highly dependent upon weather and extremely expensive. And the only way they can stay, uh, quote unquote, competitive is to be either be mandated by government or you simply regulate uh, the other industries to a certain extent that you artificially drive up their prices. Well, the Trump administration, to its everlasting credit, is putting an end to that. It did away with the clean power plan and other regulations imposed by the Obama EPA, thereby enabling, giving the coal industry a chance to survive. What we want in the United States are diversified sources of energy. We don't want to be dependent upon one particular thing. Coal uh, natural gas uh, and oil are, are there in abundance, and they are reliable, and they are affordable, uh, unlike, say, wind and solar, which are dependent on subsidies and mandates for their survival. So, oh, Doctor, i got to stop you. <laughs> I could go on for another hour and a half and just listen to you talk about this because you just roll out all the facts and figures for everybody. But uh, we got Fox News coming up. I appreciate you joining me today and being with me again here at CPAC. I think this is the third year in a row we've done this, and uh, you really do a great job. Well, thank you very much, and it's been great being here. All right. We got a break. Fox News is next, and we're back with more on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right. We are into the last uh, half hour for the uh, 4 o'clock hour. Then we got one more hour coming up, and then we call it quits for CPAC in uh, 2018. It's been pretty amazing. It is uh, Val's first CPAC, my uh, 13th, <laughs> 11 years in a row now, going for 12 next year. So I, I got to talk to all my uh folks that make this possible we'll talk to ed monk make sure that he's back on with us from uh you know last resort firearms they're great people and uh joining us right now is daryl kane he has written a book called cultural cancer treating the disease of political correctness and it's from political correctness that the social justice warriors have been birthed and who are on college campuses and destroying freedom of speech. I mean, uh, they're one of the main provocateurs dealing with that. And Daryl, when doing the uh, study for this, uh, this book, doing the research that you've done, what are some of the things that you found out about uh, political correctness? Well, you know, I think at this point everybody is starting to get hip to these topics, but it's really important to push it because I think the movement is still far behind the left. I think the left is playing chess and we're still sort of playing checkers. Uh, political correctness, as I know you're, you're well familiar, is a set of subversive values that are diametrically opposed to our traditional Judeo-Christian values that the country is founded upon. So the paradigm I think that we're sort of used to is uh, liberalism as moral relativism, equating everything. But what we're actually seeing now is that it's actually beyond that. It's not actually so much about equating everything. You're actually now elevating uh, deviancy and ugly, ugliness above traditional. So there's actually a new set of hierarchies. 
and it's actually a completely inverted moral compass. So however, whatever your religious views are, your spiritual views, however if you believe in natural law, um, whatever your, your sense of that values are, you're, you're dealing with the exact opposite of that. Now, to me, someone with the Judeo-Christian framework, that to me is Satanism. Um, which when you really boil it down on the left, that's what their values are about. I use the term cancer when I talk about political correctness because that is precisely how I perceive it. The advance of liberalism uh, directly correlates to the decline of the healthiness of the country and the civilization. And, you know, George Washington has a great quote. I don't have it. I'll paraphrase it. But that there is a danger with the two-party system that it just becomes about how to win. And, you know, the, the Demo- we were just talking about that the other night. Yeah, yeah. So the, the Democratic Party um, has latched on to all of these things that are about winning. And those things can include breaking down your borders and re- recruiting swarms of people from the third world to replace your traditional voters. And uh, it's essentially an act of political treason. And it does a great disservice to even those minority communities as well, because while they're expanding these groups, they're simultaneously keeping them pressed down in dysfunction. All right, so Daryl... I'll let you know I'm a huge, huge Francis Schaeffer fan. All right. Have you read some of Francis Schaeffer's material? I have not. You must read it. I will. You're talking about, uh, you know, the Judeo-Christian belief system of the United States, the 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 progressive, the 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 uh, the Democrat, the liberal, is a a a, a worldview that is 180 percent diametrically opposed exactly. to Judeo-Christian uh, belief system. They start with man, they end with man. That's a stupid place to start and finish, I'm just telling you. That's exactly right. And a lot of it plays into the New Age movements and uh, self-empowering the individual to you know, uh, redetermine reality based on their own arbitrary whims. And it's deeply destructive. We have rampant social chaos, out-of-wedlock birth rates. And the reason we got all of that, because they say everybody has their own truth. That's exactly right. Except for traditional Americans. Except for us. We don't we're not allowed to have our we're not allowed to have our identity anymore. But every other subversive identity is encouraged to be grown and and expanded. So it's deeply destructive and unfortunately the conservative movement for too long has fallen into the trap of hiding from the social issues and not understanding that you can't run from it because that's how they're attacking us. So at a certain point you've got to stand your ground on these issues or you're going to lose the whole country. And, you know, they're negotiating for a future where our values are no longer represented. And, um, you know, I think it's deeply destructive. And I think that you're missing the opportunity because I think a lot of the minority communities, the only people, which I talk about in the book, that prescribe to these secular progressive values are affluent progressive whites, you know, in Marin County. Um, any Lim- group, limousine liberals. A- exactly. You go all around the world, people understand common sense values that a man is a man, a woman is a woman. That's the fundamental equation that creates life. What? You don't believe what? a man can be a woman or a woman uh, can't be a man? Not, not without scientific... Or you can just choose? <laughs> yeah, not, n- not without scientific evidence to support that hypothesis. I, I do not. And um, I think that that's, a, that's an important issue because I think that a lot of people had the idea that, well, you know, if we surrender on marriage... There'll be a ceasefire. And I think people don't understand there's no ceasefire with the left. You can't stop because they're just going to keep marching until you're in ashes. And this is sort of the proverbial jumping of the shark where, you know, people are looking at this and say, where does this end? Where does this end where you define your reality? But not only do you define your reality, because I think we keep getting pushed back and back. We're, okay, you can define your reality. That's okay. That's okay. But that's not even enough. Now it's uh, you have to conform to 
my reality. Their reality. You have to conform to my arbitrary reality, uh, you know, or, or face increasingly heavy consequences. So I use the term politically correct fascism. I think it's exactly what we're up against. Um, libertarianism, I think, is beautiful in, in principle. I wish 20 years ago the world was being run by Rand Paul's. But uh, I think that at this point in time, uh, even that is a, a little bit naive, and I think there's a lot of that walking around here, and I think people need to have a reality check that we're up against an enemy that sees it as an us or them, and they're very poised with the power that they have in the academic institutions as well as the media institutions to follow out on their plan. And unless we sort of recognize, okay, we have our values, we have our rules and laws, but at a certain point when your house is being invaded, you have to go into what I call Clint Eastwood mode. And until you, <laughs> until you reclaim your own house, all of those things are irrelevant. And I think that we're at that point, and I think that uh, the sooner that we can come to that reality, which I think is inevitable, and I think we can keep running from it and running from it, but at a certain point you've got to recognize what you're up against and be willing to do what it takes to first protect your own. And that's what we've been trained to do the opposite of. We've been trained to look out for everybody but our own. And at a certain point, um, if you don't stand up for yourselves you're not going to you're not going to exist anymore and that's basically what we're looking at well i think people need to understand that the left the progressive uh the liberal the democrat want to destroy western civilization absolutely absolutely they pose a greater existential threat to us than radical islam as far as i'm concerned uh i i i point political correctness is the most dangerous thing because whatever it is that's undermining our interests, whether it's radical Islam abroad or enemies abroad, whatever it is, political correctness can be found encouraging whatever that thing is. Right. So if political correctness doesn't exist, a couple of jihadis over in Iran don't really have much of an ability to do something to us. But we have this process where uh, we continue to enable them to have access to do damage to us. And uh, until you actually deactivate that, these other things are really secondary as far as I'm concerned. Because right. even, even Islamic people, I have many good Islamic friends, uh, they understand traditional values. right? They come from a different culture, so they access God maybe in a different way than we do. But they understand common sense. They understand a man is a man, a woman is a woman. right? Secular progressives reject all of that. So I almost have a vision where in the future there could be a realignment of ge geopolitics to where Judeo-Christian countries and Islamic countries are forced to stand up against uh, radical feminism, secular progressivism, and political correctness. All right. We're going to take a break, Daryl. Stay right where you're at. The name of the book is Cultural Cancer, Treating the Disease of Political Correctness. Where do people get a copy of your book? Well, you know, I give them out everywhere I go, so I speak at colleges all across the country. Um, you're welcome to go online to Amazon and all those sites and order them as well. You can find me on Facebook. I do have a lifetime ban from Twitter, so you can't reach me there. <laughs> nice. Yeah, you got a lifetime yeah. ban. What did you say? Yeah, well, th this. I mean, <laughs> the, you know, this is criminal in five years, so you get it out while you can, right? So <laughs> I didn't write this book to make money. Thankfully, I've been fortunate in other aspects of business to where I can spread the message. So I'm just about passing the word along. And anybody that wants to read this, whether you can afford to buy it or not, you reach out to me. I'll make sure you get an opportunity to do so. All right. We'll be back. We've got to take a break. We've got another segment still with uh, Daryl Kane, who just walked up, and we happen to have an opening. And, man, I'm glad you're on the air with me us. Me, too. Me, too. We'll talk about your podcast when we come back. That's that's great. Here that's on the terrific. Dave Ellswick Show. It's 96.5 FM, The Answer. So can we have... All right. Back with you. We've got one uh, final segment uh, this half hour. Daryl Kane is our guest. The name of his book, 
cultural cancer, treating the disease of political correctness. And uh, he does a podcast, by the way. Is this a daily or a weekly, or, or how do you do this? Uh, it's it's bi-daily and, and seasonal. So I take uh, three months off once a year, and I take six weeks off in between, and then I, I fire off every other day. It's called Right Wing Road Trip with Daryl Kane. I travel all across the country speaking about these things, and uh, they are brief, off-the-cuff observations about a wide range of topics. It can be anything from a political issue uh, to something going on in uh uh, culture, you know, it can be a movie, it can be some messaging that people aren't necessarily aware of, but something that I feel is relevant to um, to the general mindset of conservatism. And uh, you know, some of it, like I said, is is more focused like this. But there's a lot of other subtle things that go on, and it's about talking about some of those things as well. Well, let's talk about culture because yeah, it's big. Andrew Breitbart said, "Culture is upstream from politics." Right. So everything flows from there and down to the politicians. Correct. When you watch television now, you can see how they're trying to change culture. Oh, absolutely. And it is absolutely upstream of it. The left gets it, we don't. And we've allowed this to happen. When you watch TV, you say, I've gotten to the point where I don't really watch TV. I watch sports. I watch the news. Well, but essentially, but even yeah. watching sports, even sports if you're watching ESPN, uh, absolutely. you're getting nothing but a daily diet of, of, of leftism. Exactly. Part of the thing with social justice warriors, they have no professionalism, right? Like if you were working at ESPN, you have your political views, but you would understand, okay, I'm not here to talk about that. I'm here to talk about football. They don't understand that because they're not held to the same standards that I have. They because have a built-in in, culture in the yeah in the, the organization. They're intersectional. Exactly. Everything is secondary. Is about political correctness. Exactly. And the end result is that the products actually uh, fall apart. I mean, Saturday Night Live is a great example. It's not funny anymore, and it's not not funny because they're making fun of conservatives. It's because they're operating from how do I make fun of conservatives and then how do I make that funny? Instead of saying, how do I make things funny? Like Dana Carvey, you remember, not going to yeah. do it, wouldn't be prudent. Right. Yeah. Right. And it was funny, right. you know, and it, but it's back and forth. And then when Clinton is the president, that's funny. But, uh, you know, these kids, they're not, they're not humorous. And they're there to lead with their politics and then to try and do their job second. And you see that in anything. That's why I say, I say political correctness is sort of like mold. You open your fridge and there's mold on your bread. You don't try and salvage bread. You just have to throw it out because the whole thing is, is done. Right. You know, we saw we saw political correctness starting to come into football a few years ago. And I said, hey, guys, here it comes. Get ready. Now the NFL is basically unwatchable. Unless you're a diehard Patriots fan like me. And, you know, it's hard not to not to watch. But um, you just lost all my I was, respect. I was going to say, oh, unless you, you see that team? fumble. <laughs> I'm not I I don't have a team anymore. I, I don't like watch the, the NFL. Yeah. Well, I don't I don't blame you. If, if it wasn't something I grew up in New England when they were, you know, it's, it's been special to see the, the Belichick oh, and Brady run. So, OK, um, so you were around when the Bears beat them into the ground. No, but I know about that Super Bowl. <laughs> I was I was there. I was there when when, uh, you know, Brett Favre beat us in 96. Okay. Bledsoe was the quarterback, so that was when I started started getting into it. But uh, yeah, we were in the cellar for a long time, and that's a that's a nice thing. But this is a great example of something. People like to tune into sports to not think about politics. That's exactly right. And you know, you get it rammed down your throat. You know, you get these uh, these spots about like uh, you know, no more no more silence on domestic abuse. Like we're all beating our girlfriends. 
when you know the ones that are doing it are actually the football players. And the so left. why why are we right? Why are they showing us the uh, the PSAs? We don't we don't have these issues in our lives. So right. it gets it gets very obnoxious very quickly. The thing too about the Colin Kaepernick thing that's a great example. Um, you know they want to hide behind free speech. And, I mean, that's really absurd because the league fines players for things like celebrating touchdowns. So, or you know, putting something on that uh, is not okay uh, with uh, the uniform. Exactly. Like the time that, you, for example, you had the guy with the red, white, and, and blue shoes during the 9-11. Yep. Yep. And Colin Kaepernick wears socks with cartoon pigs on them. And, you know, they so so clearly there is a selective of what sort of speech is acceptable. So that, to me, is an, is an erroneous an erroneous statement. There's a selection, and by selecting to allow that, they're rubber snapping it. So as far as I'm concerned, I don't blame the players. And I talk about this in the book. I blame the NFL for encouraging it. The NFL is is owns owns that movement entirely. And the reality of it is very insulting to their fans. And they lost, I would say, probably eight to ten percent from where they were the prior year at yep. a time where you should be expanding. So that's really 15%. They're ripe now. The XFL is coming back. Vince McMahon is looking into that. So they have a real a real issue there, and they're not willing to address it because, you know, they're going to continue going in the, the direction that they're going in. Well, they start the 2019 season with kneeling during the national anthem again. And they'll lose thirty percent next year. I, I over on what so. they lost this year. Yeah, I, I I certainly hope so, and it's it's definitely appalling. So it gets harder and harder, and it's very important for families to be hip to these things because a lot of it slips through. A lot of the messaging on the shows people aren't aware of. You need to understand what your children are being subjected to. So a lot of that too. So that's really I would say the first line of defense from secular progressivism is an intact traditional family. And people need to wisen up to what their kids are getting subjected to as well. We really need to turn away from this stuff and really uh, do our best to speak with our, you know, our, our, our wallets. But even then, I mean, these people are so tone deaf. They're, they're such true believers that they're willing to take it in the shorts. I mean, the NFL just lost 10 percent and they're OK with that. That's how that's how devoted they are. You know, they're like they're like religious fundamentalists against traditional values. Well, how many people has ESPN lost? You know, hosts, workers behind the scenes, right. bloggers. Right. I'm, there's been two big firings in the last eight months of nearly 425 people right. from ESPN, and it's because of Iger and Disney. Right, right. I want everybody to think about that. Disney the home of quote family <laughs> friendly programming. Yeah, Day-day. That is that is yeah, <laughs> Disney is is appalling what has happened there, you know. And that these are things this is where it's really disturbing because these are things that are so important for children to be able to see quality Disney shows. These are these are your introductions to morality plays. A lot of these are based off of traditional literature. Uh, you know, Shakespearean plays. The Lion King is essentially Hamlet. Yep. And, uh, you know, now it's essentially uh, just a, a retelling of victim feminism. 
there was a movie that came out, Maleficent. I was saw a billboard for this. I'm in Los Angeles. It's a big poster of some woman with black devil horns, and it says Maleficent by Disney. And I look into this, and they're, hey, we're, we're retelling Snow White, except now it's about the Wicked Witch. Yeah, we're talking it from the nasty side it, of it. It, it. Exactly. We're literally inverting it. And that's where I get real hot on it is when you're, you're pushing these things <laughs> on children. When you're pushing, you know, if you're an adult and you want to go play around in the back alleys and do whatever you want. And see 50 shades thing. of gray or whatever. That's what, up to you, man. Right. While, while telling us about, you know, me too because you slept with a guy six years ago. And, and didn't you, say anything. And you decided now that it would uh, benefit your career to, you know, to dish on him while you're, uh, you know, going out and paying to watch this essentially uh, – what, it was smut, basically, right? I mean, I haven't yep. really subjected myself to any of that stuff. But, uh, yeah, I, it, it gets harder and harder to put things on, you know. And you take someone out, you take a girl to movies, and it's like you have to, like, you have to explain to her what you're watching because uh, it's slipping in. It's slipping in everywhere. And uh, that's why it's important for us to go back to things that are real or traditional values. We have to retreat to that, and we have to fortify around those things. Because if we do the opposite, if we play into their hands and we try and be the quote-unquote big tent party, and I'm okay with that to a certain degree because I like winning. I like winning elections. And I understand that in different areas you have to play different strategies. But in the war rooms, you need to know what's going on. And there's a lot of people... Um, that are calling the shots, we still have a lot of people in media that don't get it, that wouldn't be able to have the kind of conversation that we're having here, that wouldn't want to have it. Okay, there's a group, Mass Resistance. Are you guys familiar with Mass Resistance? Not yet. No, I haven't great, heard of them. Yeah, well, it's because they don't, they're, they're, they're suppressed. This is a great pro-family advocate group from Massachusetts. They go into the schools, they expose the sexual propaganda that children are subjected oh, to. Oh, yeah. Okay, they had access here, and their, their, um, their access was pulled. Okay. Yeah. So even even at CPAC, the people the people that are really willing to stand up on these things, there's really a desire not to let this stuff get out, right? Because they want to be able to play along in the new future rather than fight to prevent it, which is what we need to be doing. Name of the book: Cultural Cancer: Treating the Disease of Political Correctness. Daryl Kane is the author, and Daryl, we appreciate you stopping by and visiting with us for about a half hour. I appreciate you guys so much. God bless you. Have a great, great uh, weekend. Thank All you, right. Daryl. We take a break. Fox News will be back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Listen up, veterans. If you're a senior wartime veteran or a surviving spouse of a wartime veteran, you may be entitled to an improved pension benefit from the VA. This benefit is designed to help pay for the cost of assisted living and in-home care. As we get older, we may need the assistance of others, and this VA benefit is designed to help pay for that. Call me. I'm Kimbrough Stevens. In my law firm, the Juris Law Group specializes in helping folks get this much-needed benefit, commonly referred to as aid and attendance. If you are a married veteran, you can receive as much as $25,000 per year, and we offer a no-risk consultation. So call us today and get the benefits you've earned. We have a proven track record, and we know how to qualify veterans for this benefit. Call us at 501-400-8250 or look us up online at Jurist Law Group, J-U-R-I-S-T lawgroup.com. Call us at 501-400-8250 or Google me, Kimbrough Stevens, and we look forward to hearing from you. All right, let's move into the uh, 5 o'clock hour, our final hour of the show uh, here in Washington, D.C. from CPAC 2018. Uh, today, the president spoke. Yesterday, the vice president spoke. And a whole lot of other people have been speaking here 
at, at CPAC. And earlier today, about 10.15, we heard our, our Attorney General, Leslie Rutledge, talk about sanctuary cities. And uh, you'll hear my interview with her next week on the show. And we uh, did 21 pre-recorded interviews. And we've got Grover Norquist and Ambassador Bolton and a whole lot of other people uh, to play back for you. But right now, a live interview for you here at the uh, at CPAC. And that is Richard Manning. He's the president of Americans for Limited Government, an organization that's dedicated to keeping government small, thus keeping liberty large. That's what, you know, President uh, Jefferson said. As government grows, freedom shrinks. And uh, we've, we've seen it happen in our country, and we've seen it happen in our state, and hopefully people will get tired of it and will uh, force it to go the other direction. You've been at it for a long time, Richard. I mean, how, do you see us making any kind of advancements? I mean, the Republicans are not showing any inkling of of, of uh, cutting government. I mean, when they say revenue neutral, what they're saying is that we're just going to keep government the same size, if not bigger. Well, that's true. And I, I will give your your listeners some hope because I, first of all, have to say I'm thunderstruck by your opening. It was really you like great. that. Huh? That's great. <laughs> okay. The, uh, but there's a, but here's, a, here's the inkling of hope. First of all, um, the House of Representatives and the Senate uh, use something called the Congressional Review Act to eliminate 14 regulations that Obama, Obama era regulations directly by the vote of the House and the Senate. Uh, it's a, it, that Congressional Review Act had only been used one time prior, and it was after the Clinton administration, and because it's very narrow in its focus and it can only be used in certain circumstances. And because of President Obama's pen and phone style of governing, yeah. it provided a, a unique opportunity. And so those elected representatives did go ahead and, and strike down a number of Obama-era regulations. Secondly, there's a what we're seeing right now, and this is something I work on every single day. We've been working on an Article One project for the last five, six years. And the objective is to try to change the thinking of appropriators in the, in the House. And because of a number of people being defeated in primaries, choosing not to run, um, who are, who've chosen that they're not going to run in, in for the general election, we now have a lot of openings on the Appropriations Committee, including the chairmanship. So what, we're, what we've been working for is to try to change the culture where the Appropriations Committee, the Republican Appropriations Committee, started acting like Republicans and not looking at the job as being how many goodies can we give out, how, many things, how much money can we spend, but instead, what can we cut? What things are the government's doing that it shouldn't be where we can take little snips off the sizes of gov- size of government, not necessarily big chunks, but just nip it here, nip it there. And over a course of 10, 20 years, if we have that kind of progress, we can change everything because Congress has the power of the purse. Congress has the capacity to do this, and they haven't exercised it. And we're trying to put people in place in that appropriations committee who will do so. And I think we've got some people right now who are getting used to the idea of defunding rather than funding. And as we get that, and if we get that as the culture, we're going to change everything. Well, a great uh, you know, point to make out is that we didn't get here where we're at right now in the last 10 years. It started at the turn of the 19th of the 20th century. Yes, sir. 
and it was with Woodrow Wilson. He started all this crap, and then it 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 uh, picked up speed with FDR, and then picked up speed again with Johnson. There's no doubt we have a. Um, if you look at our kind of the modern America, it really does start under Woodrow Wilson. You had the Federal Reserve, you had the income tax, you had the you, you had a number of expansions of government um, that were set power. in place in power, and so and the federal government became increasingly powerful under Wilson. Um, and then we went through twenty year, the twenties, where you had a, a kind of a softening, you know, silent Cal Coolidge and the like, and and the economy prospered. We actually elected somebody who, a, who would be considered to be a liberal Democrat in Herbert Hoover because he believed in government intervention. And when the Great Depression started, the stock market crashed, the federal government intervened in the economy dramatically. And yet people say he didn't do anything. But the fact is, it was his interventions that he started. And then subsequently FDR's interventions that prolonged the Great Depression no kidding. and created an environment where we only got out of it by having a, having a World War II, which killed millions upon millions of people. So we have a, and that wasn't the reason for World War II, but it was the net effect. It outcome. sure helped them save their bacon. It, it got us out of the economic, out of the depression. So we've got a, so we do have a history in this country that the times when the left lurches the government big, government forward. You know, you have. The, the Great Society in 1965, a direct result of the Democrats having 60 votes in the Senate and the capacity to move their agenda forward. We saw Obama being able to do Obamacare because he had 60, the ability to do 60 votes in the Senate and move his agenda forward. The Republican Party has never had, in the modern era, 60 votes in the Senate, has never had a supermajority in the Senate to be able to use to on party vote to be able to overcome a filibuster. All right. We're out of time. Already. Unbelievable. Wow. We went quickly through that. So if people want to get more information about your particular organization, sure. where do they go? GetLiberty.org. It's GetLiberty.org. Or on Twitter, you can go to at LimitGov. All right. Probably I'll give you a call next week. Get you on a week from Monday. Absolutely. Look forward to it. All right. We'll talk to you then. Thank you for coming by. I know you got another radio station to hit, but thank you for the small time that you gave us today. I appreciate it. And anybody who goes and does an ACDC opening is okay with me. (laughs) Take care. Thank you very much. All right. Let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll we'll, uh, talk a little bit with Val and perhaps some other folks that we can find around here. And coming up in the next uh, half hour, It's Megan Barth. You remember her as Reagan Babe. She'll be our final guest here from CPAC. Final uh, few moments here from CPAC. And I'm not Dave. Yeah, and we've got Russ here now, and we've got Val sitting here. Let me just tell you, I love coming to CPAC, but I'm always glad when it's over because we start – early about five o'clock in the morning central and we get done at about 12 hours later uh (laughs) here and then we go to our our room and find a place to eat and go eat and then come back and fall into bed and crash you want me to talk now yeah oh (laughs) you go right ahead now (laughs) yeah man this is this is always a lot of fun to come out here dave and uh you know it, it helps that there are people around us that that know the people that we want to talk to 
and you know people like C.J. Wheeler. She's from Arkansas. Arkansas she went to Pulaski. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Pulaski Robinson, um, and Judy Kent, uh, Christine Goss. They bring me people to talk to you, the people that you've talked to this week. Past. Justin Danoff, uh, Curtis Ellis, Dr. Bonner Cohen, Richard Manning, who you just spoke to. Megan Barth is coming up here in a few minutes. You know her as Reagan Babe. Yeah. And She's been part of Dave Ellswick's show for several years. Yeah. these, But to be able to come up here and talk to these people and, and to uh, provide a larger scope for our audience is just, it, you know, it's, it's a true pleasure. Uh, but to have the people who work unselfishly in the background mm-hmm. to make sure that this that this all works for us. I mean, Brian Yost from Silver Lake comes down here. He's contracted to come down here only as an engineer, but but he puts up all of Radio Row and all the equipment, be it Comrex, Tie Line, whatever it is that people need to broadcast back to their home studios. Yeah, I come and sit down. And it's already connected up and everything, and all I do is sit here and talk. That's my my job at that point. You have, let's see, 21 recorded interviews. Let's just that, tell you it took him two hours to eat a bag of M&M's. A little bag. <laughs> <laughs> and he had to separate them, of course. Yeah, and I'm always. the one that's OCD. And, we, and we've got some great interviews yeah. for you when I get back. I mean, Ambassador Bolton talked about China with me and talked about North Korea, and you're going to want to hear what he had to say. We'll get that on a Monday, yeah. I think. And, um, Grover Norquist Grover and others Norquist, that were with Michelle us. Michelle Assad, yep. former CIA. Yeah, she she was a, uh, a person who ran the operatives in the Middle East. From a, from a command post here in the U.S.? Yep. Right. Yep. Oh, man. Yeah, she was... Like the people that you saw in 24. <laughs> just been, this has just been amazing. There's so many people here. Like, yeah, like, we don't we want just, people to hear Burns, too. Gary Burns. Yeah, Gary, Gary Burns. Burn. We don't want to hear him, Former too. Secret Service agent. Yeah. And, and uh, he, he, I tell you, if you, read it, if you ever read his book, you'll find out more about the evil Clinton queen than you will ever want to know. Yeah. Another person you don't want to miss is going to be Major Scott Husing. Yes. And he wrote about the battle for Ramaldi. Uh, Echo and Ramadi. New book out uh, from Regular. And you don't want to, if you, uh, you need to go get that book. Uh, available through Regnery Publishing. I know that. Um, it is on the top of of Malagisi's book list right now. Yeah. Uh, ran into Chris Mal- earlier. Malagisi is the man who works with Regnery, and he has the conservative book club, which we're, of course, part of with the Dave Ellswick conservative book club. Yes. Um, and provides... I mean, it, it's, it, it's, it's an opposition to the New York Times because they yeah, don't we pulled like away from it. conservative books. No. They don't count them right when it's a conservative book. It's really, really sad what they've done. I mean, seriously, it's yeah, sad. It is. Uh, what, they, what they've done. By the way, just looking forward a little bit, next Friday, uh, I will be in Branson. Not on vacation. I'll be up there talking to you. I'm going up to Sight and Sound. And I'm jealous about and they've this. And they've got a brand, a brand new show opening, Samson. And we're going to do... Uh, 
the show from Sight and Sound. That should be a whole lot of fun. If you're not going, who's going? Me. He's taking the equipment, and he's going to go up and set it up himself. That ain't going to work. No, <laughs> you can't go without Russ. <laughs> going up there and setting it up and doing the show, they're going to set up everything else for me. So oh, that'll cool. be that'll be nice when they do that. And uh, doing a remote is a whole lot easier now than it was yeah. 10 or 20 years ago, believe me. And we're not using a Marty unit to get back to this. I don't think a Yagi would stretch we from ne- the No, we'd never rock. make it back, that's for sure. <laughs> All right, so give us your impressions of your two days here, uh, Val. Oh, it's just been amazing. I mean, just seeing everybody, getting to see the president speak, the vice president speak. Um, Not just listen to them, but no, see, see them. them. Yes, and see the crowd. That's what you don't see on a lot of the network TV. You don't get to see the crowds. And like, well, ago, I was walking by and I, I just... Well, I was going to get something, and I looked over, and I see this Latino lady, and she has on a cape, and it says, Make America Great Again. She even had Trump shoes on, and I, I so I, I introduced myself to her, and uh, I'll be having her on my show uh, in the future, but uh, she, 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 there, she's from a group called the Deplorable Latinas. <laughs> That's awesome. That's a good group. That's pretty awesome. And when I, I said, you know, it, uh, everyone always said, you know, they always say, well, Trump's racist and all that. She was like, well, psh, we're doing better now than we were when Obama was president. <laughs> <laughs> so she was pretty funny. They were hilarious. I uh, wish the lady was here today that was walking around in jailbird. Oh, my gosh, yes. That was yesterday. I put that on my Facebook page. That picture is up there. That was awesome. I was like, and, she, and that, the thing about that today, getting to hear that crowd chant, lock her up. <laughs> was awesome. <laughs> Live. Was well, awesome. You yeah. got the chance to do what I did two years ago when I first came here, and that was to go and see and listen and hang out in there and be amazed at the crowd. Yeah. Not just the the crowd of, of onlookers, the, the, the general public, yes, the, and but t- the media crowd, yeah. the, the bloggers, the reporters. All of them. It was standing the, room only. It always is when Trump speaks. Yeah. I and mean, they were trucking in more chairs, and, and then people were standing. I'm surprised they it, trucked it just, in chairs. Yeah, well, they were right there. It's all those white supremacists. <laughs> <laughs> right? Because I looked in there, and it was every diverse. It was so diverse. The crowd was so diverse. There were, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest, there were more minorities here this year than I've seen in the previous 11 years before. They're smart. They're wising up to the Democrat lies and the propaganda. And they love Trump. Yes. Yes. And I think that's great. That's what we need to do. We need to be all inclusive here and things like that. Like, I I think it's great. If you look around, there's Latinas, there's blacks, there's Asians, there's, uh, well, Turkey, the lady from Turkey that I am. Yeah, Islam. They're all here. Well, not Islamics. No, they're all here. Middle Eastern, maybe, but not yeah, Islamic. Middle Eastern. <laughs> she's <laughs> she's Persian. Yeah, she was Persian. Yeah, she's from, from Turkey. She was from yeah, Turkey. From Turkey. Turkey. Mm-hmm. Turkish yeah. Persian. So, bottom line, it's been a great uh, a great week. It really, really has been. Yeah. Oh, and then Sean Hannity. I got to sit in and uh, meet oh, yeah, Sean Hannity. Oh, yeah, last night, didn't you? Yeah. No, that was the night before. Night I know before. it's all run First together night, now. Wednesday night. It's all run together. <laughs> And that's where we, you know, uh, Kaylee was there uh, for that. And then we had her on the next day yeah. and talked to her uh, here on the air. You, you you heard from the people that you always see on TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
you're going to hear from a lot more of those people over the next few shows that I do because we just got some really good stuff for you to hear. Yeah. It's pretty. It was pretty amazing. Yeah. I appreciate you you bringing me along. I know. This trip, I know. Dave. Val. Val is going back. Well, while I got a moment here, I'm gonna take a nap. Let me <laughs> let me say that uh, uh, Elizabeth was supposed oh, to come with me and come and be with us, and she got ill. She caught the flu, and she just could not make it. And I know she wanted to come and wanted to be part of this. She was heartbroken. She couldn't. So, Elizabeth, I'll tell you right now, next year we'll make sure that you get to come with us. Yeah. So that you can experience this, and then I'll uh, work you to death, just so you know. But, uh, he yeah, did me. Here. Yeah, I worked he you did. to death, too. <laughs> no, it was, it's fine. But, uh, I had a blast. Next year the uh, event is on February 27th, 20th, 28th, March 1st. March 2nd. That's my birthday weekend. Oh, good. February well, 28th is my birthday, yeah. Okay, so March that's It'll be my 45th yeah. birthday. This is my 44th. Well, year. then we'll be celebrating for sure, won't yeah, we? I'll be, I'll be actually drinking when I come to D.C. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> no, maybe not, because I don't. I, right. I don't do that anymore. I'm too old. Also, I want to thank uh, Ryan Norris for Americans for Prosperity. Uh, they made sure we had the funds to do this. It is not cheap to no. pull this off. Uh, it's typically around somewhere in the neighborhood of $4,800. I mean, yeah. just a sandwich, just a <laughs> nasty old sandwich from yesterday was bucks. $13 well, and a Coke was 5 Yeah, well, that was... That's that ridiculous. was at Potbelly. No. Oh, no. No, Potbelly was, I got all that for under 20 bucks. Okay. Well, down down the hall here. Yeah, here was, in the hotel. It was, it was like $24. Ridiculous. Breakfast was $25 every day. It's, it's, yeah. it's really incredible. But uh, we want to thank them. And then finally, uh, Ed Monk uh, from Last Resort Firearms Training. We want to thank him uh, for helping us eat. While uh, we were here, and you're looking for firearms training, you call Ed Monk. The Dave Ellswick Show podcast is sponsored by the Juris Law Group. We provide estate planning for all ages, and we specialize in helping seniors get VA and Medicaid benefits for in-home, assisted living, and nursing home care. For a no-risk consultation, call us at 501-400-8250 or find us on the web at juristlawgroup.com. That's J-U-R-I-S-T lawgroup.com.